It's episode nine of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, your friendly neighborhood prophet, seer, revelator, the only man ordained to communicate with the gaming gods in behalf of you, my digital congregation, also known as Roboclip, the blessed beatmaker, a.k.a. Cade Call, interview interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. On this episode of the podcast, we have no shortage of interesting as Chase Henson joins us for our weekly gaming sermon. Chase Henson is a fellow drummer, which makes him a bona fide badass. He slams the drums, he's got great technique, great chops, and he plays for a very interesting band. They're kind of like a indie avant-garde sort of all over the map. They ebb and flow between a bunch of different styles. They are called Mom Wrath. M-O-M-E space W-R-A-T-H. Make sure to check them out. I'll put links in the bio, links in the description. Chase is also a Smash Brothers pro gamer. Not really a pro gamer, but I met Chase at a Smash Brothers tournament in college and he whooped my ass. Last and definitely not least, and in my opinion, Chase's most bona fide badass accomplishment is he is a self-taught concept artist and illustrator. He travels all over the country selling his artwork. He does a lot of video game inspired fan art as well and you can see that at artofchasehenson.com of course there'll be links in the bio in the description on this episode we touch on how chase with absolutely zero prior knowledge no experience learned that you could do art for a job designing things for video games and movies decided he wanted to be a concept artist with absolutely no understanding about what that would entail where that would take him how much work it would be and put his nose to the grindstone and started teaching himself years and years later through sheer grit and determination he has one of the coolest styles and best best artistic capabilities i've ever seen We talk about traveling, selling art all over the country at different conventions. We touch on the legendary, pun intended, Legend of Zelda franchise and how it is the main video game franchise that now inspires him to do art. And last but not least, we both get a little bit tipsy and just shoot the shit in general about video games. I had a fantastic time talking to Chase today on the podcast. Make sure to go forth and spread the good news of the gaming memories gospel. Miyamoto the father, Kojima the son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost have revealed to me through revelation that you will be blessed for sharing the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel. Also, to make sure to give Chase a like, share, or subscribe. Check out his band, Mom Wrath, M-O-M-E, space W-R-A-T-H, and check out his art website, artofchasehenson.com. Again, all those links will be in the podcast. Otherwise, enjoy the show. But we can start officially whenever you'd like. Dude, I'm ready to go right now, man. Ready to go? Let's do it. All right, man. Welcome to the podcast. This is, I'm going to have like a little intro that I'll record later. It'll make you sound super dope. So people okay. should have an idea of who you are. But uh, we can give them a recap. I know you, I believe, I was thinking about it. I met you at a Smash tournament, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah, dude. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was the gym because I saw you at the gym a bunch. But I knew no. it was a Smash it tournament. Was- the anime club was putting on a smash fest and we just showed up and then you remember diego we were just like yes. hanging out like let's hang out afterwards and we just played smash a couple times and then 
damn, that was like it was a long time ago. That was at least ten years, at least. It was the it was the Wii Smash, I believe, right? Not GameCube. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And that and I remember you saying you wanted to get into art, and now ten years later, that's pretty much all you do. It seems like. Dude, that's literally all I'm. Do- I've been painting all day. Like this is what I do now. Yeah. When when we first got together, when we were first hanging out, uh, I was like, I I mean, I didn't start doing art till I was 22. When you met me, so I just started making art for the first time ever in my whole life. So you were looking at my stuff and you're like, yeah, this guy, yeah, he's gonna be an artist. Ten years I, later, dude. I never, I never <laughs> doubted you. Dude everybody did and then when you start getting good at it they're like oh i never doubted you <laughs> <laughs> that's just generally how it goes that's how it goes anyway. for, for everything are you doing i mean i see you doing a bunch of illustration work i've seen you on instagram pop up like at some looks like you're doing different cons and expos oh yeah yeah so this year i've been really focusing on doing conventions uh as far as like artists making an income, there's a couple different venues that they can hit. They can do freelance illustration, working for big companies, doing like board game covers or, you know, little icons for games or working for Magic the Gathering, just like simple single illustrations. Or you can go into the convention scene. You go to Comic Cons throughout the country. There are people who just do conventions all across the country, sometimes, you know, in Europe or wherever they're going. And they just set up a booth, and they sell prints, and they sell originals, they sell play mats, they sell all kinds of stuff of their art or whatever company they were working for. So I've been hitting the convention scene really hard. Um, I, I just need a couple different revenues for income. If I want to make art a full-time thing like I've been planning to for the past 10 years, then I absolutely have to hit the convention scene, for now at least. So what's the ratio of convention versus other revenue streams you're doing from art? Conventions have uh, conventions are unique because you can make zero money, or you can make an unlimited amount of money. There is no uh, there's no cap to how much money that you can make, right? Um, you froze. Am I still here? I'm not seeing you anymore. Can you see my beautiful face? Okay. Okay. Good. I'm back. Um, I'm back. Yeah. So, yeah, conventions, you can make an unlimited amount of money. There is no cap to how much you can make per painting that you made. Let's say, like, I did a Breath of the Wild painting for Zelda, which is one of the most influential games, and we'll get into that in a minute, that I've ever played in my life. I make one painting, and it makes about 90% of my profits right now at a convention. And I can sell 700 prints. I mean, I don't sell 700 prints, but in a year's time, I could make $6,000 on a single painting selling prints. 25 bucks a piece selling canvas prints so there's literally no cap to that as long as you hit uh you have a good style you hit sometimes fan art sometimes you don't have to do fan art but outside of that man conventions are like the bigger as far as independent art goes it's like one of the best ones you could do so when it comes to the question i have with breath of the wild and fan art i had another guest on who um I'm going to lower my gain a little bit. Check, check. I had another guest on who he does – I don't know if you know him. He does Atomu Media. He does like basically fan art, prints, like office work. Some of it's – it's all on Etsy. Anyway, Maybe. I asked him. I'm like, so is it technically – because his best-selling piece was an Uncharted trilogy where it had like Nathan Drake and the three main areas. Like it was like kind of custom but it was obviously using their character and he sold a bunch yeah. of them. And I, I'm like, 
I asked about that specific thing. Like, so you can just sell this online, go to conventions and sell it, and no one does anything. And he explained uh, it as more of like a gray area. There's so much gray area. So where, so, how, where are you? Where do you sit in that whole thing? I I'm sitting on the very low end of that gray area. So I I have a professor that I went to school with. His name is Will Terry. Big shout out to that guy. He's one of my favorite people ever. He did a series of fan art, pieces of fan art uh, of all kinds of pop culture characters as like babies. You know, they're like Darth Maul holding a double-sided binky or a bottle oh, or something. Okay, yeah, you know yeah. that kind of style. And he was making. He goes to conventions, and I, I'm just giving a rough rough estimate. He makes like ten thousand dollars a convention. So he recently ran a one like his second Kickstarter. And he was up to almost three hundred thousand dollars on a Kickstarter for a book of these of these of paintings. These you know, yeah. Marvel contacted him and shut it down because he was making so much money off of their IP, even though it's stylized, even though it's changed a little bit, they still have legal rights to shut him down because essentially it's copyright. You're you're ripping off their IP and you're making money off of it. But in the low end convention scene i mean there's how many conventions per state in every single state nowadays right maybe two or three there's hundreds and hundreds of artists selling fan art and they're not doing anything it, it kind of promotes their fandom right it, it that's supports what, uh, that's what, what they're he making. said he basically yeah. said kind of goes parallel with what you're saying if you get to a certain point where you're making enough money someone might come knocking on the door but yeah otherwise they don't really want to shut down the the fan base and no. it's like and in a way it's sort of indirect promotion if someone loves zelda and they come to you and buy a breath of the wild they're super yeah. into zelda they're probably going to buy the next breath of the wild at launch day exactly right and to go after every single artist who's selling fan art how much money are they going to spend on lawsuits versus yes. how much they're going to get out of them so they're only going after big 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 bucks right the people who are making three hundred thousand on a kickstarter or etc right so in that sense, in the convention scene, and I have about 50-50, half fan art, half original work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and I'm that sitting in that gray area. That Breath of the Wild piece is your best-selling fan art and your best-selling work currently, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's – so most – the fan art – so let me back up. Most of my income comes from fan art at the conventions. Mm. Half of it – well, more than half comes from the fan art. Breath of the Wild piece is like 90% of all of my profits, right? It's, I don't think those numbers made sense, but that one makes the most money at any convention, anytime. So I have to have tons of stock. That's like my golden goose. Do you have a, uh, an online shop where people can find you and buy this stuff? Um, yes and no. I have a Society6. Actually, if you go to my website, you click on the store, it'll take you to it. But they take so much from me. Like they, If I sell a canvas print, it's like... I don't know, 75 bucks, but they take like 70% of that. Wow. So I don't really sell online because running an online shop is so much of a hassle and it's just really not worth it. So I typically just do conventions and sell in person and go to these places. Nice. What other, what other fan art have you done that's done well besides? Um, so I've had a Captain America piece that I did in college. It's like really painterly and loose and it's like old school cap with his, with his first outfit that he wore, like, you know, the world war two jacket and the yeah, blue yeah. helmet. I, I had that one. That was my first big seller. And that was like all of my profits. That one's starting to phase out, which is kind of the problem with fan art, you know, characters become less popular over time. 
And, and there are your classics, like anything Lord of the Rings always does really well. Uh, Dragon Ball Z is hot again, but you know, those really like legacy fan art things, those stick around for a while. So Captain was good for a minute. Um, right now it's Zelda. I have a couple, like I have a painting of the Shire. I have a painting. I'm actually working on a painting of um, a Lord of the Rings painting when Eowyn, I believe it's Eowyn or when she summons those water horses and they sweep up the black riders yeah, the, down the river. Yeah. 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 So I'm working on a painting that a piece of fan art. So that's going to be, I'm going to premiere that at fan X in Salt Lake, the end of the beginning of next month. Um, I've done a lot of Lord of the Rings. Actually, I've done like four, uh, cause that's just classic. You can't beat Lord of the Rings. Like there's nothing better. Would you say out, 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 <laughs> no <laughs> fighting scares me, but <laughs> outside of as, anything, video games, it sounds like Lord of the Rings is your favorite, I guess, pop culture franchise. Oh Yeah, that was the first uh, fantasy IP that I got into. My mom introduced me to Lord of the Rings as a kid. Um, I remember when the first movie was coming out when I was in the eighth grade and she convinced me to read the books before the movie came out. And oh, my God. Like, I'd nice. never been introduced to anything so fantastical in my life. You know, I've watched movies, but movies never really sink it in. But you read the first three Lord of the Rings, man, like, that's that's heavy. Did you read any other books at that time? Or was that also, like, your first books, set of books um, you wanted to? I don't. Actually, Harry Potter was my first fantasy book. I started in, like, fifth grade, and I read all of them, all seven or eight, whatever they are they're yeah. at now multiple times so that was my first intro but harry potter is like it's like it's like the first evolution of fantasy you know it's like the charmander when <laughs> lord of the rings is like a charizard you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah like it's really basic and it's great it's classic it's a legacy but it's no lord of the rings so you were into you were into reading a little bit but lord of the rings came and just Blew your little Slap me in the face. Yeah. Slap me in the goddamn face. <laughs> <laughs> Were you uh, playing games at this time? What was the first game? The very first oh, video man. game you can remember. Um, my very, very first video game. I'd have to say, like, Super Mario 3 on Nintendo. That's a pretty common was, one. Yeah, I, that was the first one I remember really enjoying. I think I had a bunch, but none of them really stuck. I was really young, you know. I'm 31 now, so yeah, you're that was I was young when the NES came out as well, so you would have been really young. Yeah, so that was like the Mario games were the ones that stuck in my head. I you always had that friend in the neighborhood that had more games than you, so you'd go to their house a lot to play all their cool games. Yeah, I remember playing like Battle Toads and and other games like at friends' houses and stuff like that. Um, so, but I think the really the first game that really really sunk in, God, it had to have been Legend of Zelda. The Ocarina of Time, man, that was like, I remember my mom actually wanted, we were at Blockbuster in Provo, and she's like, do you want to rent uh, Ocarina of Time? And I was like, no, that looks dumb. <laughs> I was not into it at all. So, 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 so you skipped, so you didn't really, nothing really stands out to you from NES or Super or Sega? You were too I young? had Sega, yeah, but uh, I guess Sonic was a big part of my life. I guess I skipped that whole generation. Sonic was great. Um, I mean, the, I had Mortal Kombat. 
But nothing really stands out until Ocarina of Time. Not really. There were just like things to do. You know what I mean? You and weren't games in, that I would play with my you friends. You weren't into but... gaming or identifying as a gamer at that age. Probably not. Yeah. No. Um. All right. Well, then I, let's hit it up with Ocarina. So you're. Yeah. You, Why did you think it was dumb? Because I just I saw a preview for it and I'm like that looks stupid and you know I was an arrogant <laughs> little shithead like it just looked dumb the first like open world and I'm like ah fuck it <laughs> I don't need it but I did eventually get it and I played it and I just was I, I remember it being super hard and I remember being blown away by the art style Nintendo and just the whole Zelda their their visual language is so unique and so fucking timeless you can't i'm gonna say this a lot tonight but you can't beat the visuals on that if you really like stylized work and you like character development and you like complex puzzles and gameplay like zelda is always going to be there it's always going to be there so i remember going back multiple times to play that game i don't think i ever really beat it until i was like in my 20s dude because it was so hard for me at a young age you know yeah that's um that game, I remember being really stoked about it because there was some hype behind it. I, I had played the SNES Zelda. I had a similar experience when I first played it. It was a little, a little difficult. I was a little bit older than you. Yeah. But um, it was the first game that I remember waking up on purpose really early in the morning, like 4.30 or 5, <laughs> so I could get a couple hours in before school. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's how, like, I, I don't, and to this day, I mean, maybe in college there might have been some late night. I can't think of a single game that another game where I did that. I would, yeah. I would wake up and I remember beating it. I did beat it, but I beat it at like six thirty in the morning, and I remember oh. beating it before school, and then Dude. going to school and then just thinking like, well, what now? Because it had, <laughs> it had consumed my soul. <laughs> like every waking moment, I was thinking about that game. <laughs> and then once it was over, I did, I did I had to like readjust to normal life. Yeah, yeah. I, so it was Zelda was my first obsession, and now that we're talking about like staying up late, uh, Pokemon Red and Blue on the Ooh. color Game Boy. That was just before Zelda, I think. I don't actually know what the timeline was for that, but it was more accessible because Game Boys were cheaper, right? So I yeah. had Red and Blue. And I played the living shit out of that game. So, as we backtrack, Pokemon first, probably. Zelda second. Uh, Red and blue. And then I had Pokemon yellow. And then Fire Red and Leaf Green, what, like 10 years ago when they remastered them. So you went Uh, through all the Pokemons. uh, Yeah, I didn't get past, like, silver and gold and platinum and fucking... Oh, yeah. I don't even know how many there are. I did red and blue. Ruby. After after about Leaf Green and Fire Red, that's when I stopped playing. I was just I wasn't really into the newer ones. I know I'm a hack, but whatever. I've got a Pokeball tattoo on my calf, and I, I haven't played the new ones. I'm put. I'm a pushover. Um, <laughs> well, it's okay. Did you uh, do the rare candy shit on Pokemon One Red and Blue? Went the cheat code the with cheat. the missing no. Were you like yeah? You like swim. I remember you like swim to an island and back some menu Cinnabar thing. Island. I, I literally I could show you right now if we have the game what to do and how to do it because I did it so many times. Yeah. To copy my rare candies. Yeah, I, cop- yeah. I remember copying the rare candy. I didn't do it till the very end, and then um, 
I had red and blue, and I my memory might be wrong, so correct me. If you had red and blue, you could get Mewtwo if you had all of them, like some sort of game transfer thing or save transfer. I re- yeah, so you can catch Mewtwo in the cave, but you have to use a Master Ball and you have to weaken him down to like 1% and then put him to sleep or poison him, like some kind of like triple triple threat to him. He was really hard to get. I Yeah, I remember I somehow got him and then I did the rare candy thing to him. And then I was just like <laughs> so overpowered. I would just walk around. I'm like, okay, well, this is cool, but now I'm bored because they just kill everything. You're one-shotting everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> But that was that, that's definitely – I couldn't get into the later ones, but I, the Game Boy one, there's a lot of people. I mean obviously Pokemon. Pokemon yeah. was also – because you're a visual guy. Like one of my first experiences with Japanese animation and like that – I didn't like – the humor was weird to me, especially when they yeah, dub it. really but, campy. But the stylized action, like there was no American cartoons that had action that was styled like anime. And the same thing with Waking Up Early – I would wake up early on Saturday mo- uh, Sunday mornings to watch Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. It was on air, like Channel 13, local. And um, Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z were the only, at, at least when I was that age, I, the only thing I could get a hold of when it comes to Japanese animation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was awesome. Early 90s, or I guess early 2000s, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of access to media. We only had cable TV, right? So... I remember Sunday mornings, actually mornings before school, my friend and I would watch Pokemon, yeah. reruns of Pokemon. And sometimes we'd miss the bus because we're just so into an episode about Sandshrew, like just getting beat up at a gym or something. You know, we're so attached to these characters as kids. And then I remember watching Dragon Ball, de- definitely Dragon Ball on Toonami when they were doing, uh, who's that robot dude? I think it's just called Toonami, right? The robot guy in the spaceship. I think so. Anyway, it was like late night stuff, Adult Swim or whatever it was yeah. at the time. Did you ever uh, rent any anime from from Blockbuster? No, uh, maybe. Because I got a maybe. hold of some. Like once I knew, once I kind of figured out, like, oh, this is just Japanese stuff. All has this really cool action scenes. Yeah, dude. I, I rented. Have you seen Ninja Scroll? Yeah. So I rented yeah. Ninja Scroll. My dad let me get it. He's like, oh, it's just a cartoon. My family's like <laughs> super hardcore Mormon. And uh, my dad's like, hey, but it's not rated, right? It's some Japanese. He just thinks it's a cartoon. So do I. And then he, <laughs> he gets to the scene. For those of you who haven't seen it, I think I mentioned this in another episode. There's a scene where like a girl, she's like the king's bodyguard. And she's been poisoning her body her whole life. So she's immune to poisons. But her blood is like... Her, like her blood if you kiss her you'll like get poisoned and die yeah dude well this like demon monster <laughs> basically starts to rape her and sucks on her boobs and my dad walked in like right what when the... that was happening uh, and he flipped shit he thought like, I I, it... yeah he was bad he thought i knew i was like i swear i didn't know i just like and i was like i think i said i just like pokemon and dragon ball and i, I thought this was gonna be like that and it was, by it the way, the not. action. It was awesome. And anyway, it was not. I ended up, I ended up getting a hold of that movie later and finishing it. But uh, yeah, it was hard. And like, yeah. If you if you were individual style, and to this day, the only thing I've seen, have you seen uh, Attila or Alita Battle None? Or Battle? Oh yeah, Alita. There were moments where I'm like, this feels like a Western movie, but it captured some of the anime 
with its own like it was close. Yeah, yeah, it was a Western uh, translation of anime. It, it was just like it was a weird combo. It was like fusion. There was parts I, I didn't like, and there was parts that were mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, the graphics were amazing. The whole show was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, those old school, like Pokemon's always been a big deal for me. I remember as a kid, like playing Pokemon cards, speaking of like games, that was probably, it's not a video game, but it was my first obsession in about sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. I was, I can promise you that I was the first kid in that school to bring Pokemon cards. Me and my friend Scott, (laughs) you were the OG cards. I am literally the guy who brought them. And people would make fun of us for playing Pokemon cards. We had no idea how to play, but we just like set up in the in the in the recess area, and eventually got so popular that everyone in the school was getting them, and they were trading them. And then we got into sixth grade, and it was so like it was like commissary. We were trading them back and forth, and we were ripping off kindergartners, giving them like a Diglett for a Charizard or something. You know what I mean? Eventually, it got banned from the school. And we were trading in the bathroom like they were drug deals. Like, you know, yeah, you, you got that match amp, dude. You got, we were in the bathroom trading cards. And we had, like, sheets of, like, you know, the books with the sheets and the holographics. And we had them organized by type or whatever. So that was a big obsession for a long time. Uh, and I tried my hand at tournaments, and I always got wrecked. I'm not very good. Well, at that point, at that time, I wasn't good at strategy games. I was more like a smash-and-grab kind of gamer kid. Too much energy, yeah. ADD out the ass. <laughs> that uh, that story is really similar to what a lot of people experienced. Because uh, I'm like I'm four years old, new five years old, new. We had the same thing happen. I wasn't the OG, but Pogs got really big at our school. Yeah, dude. And um, the, Pogs were first. Pogs were first. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, sorry. No worries. In fact, I'm going to use this chance to take my hoodie off because I'm hot. Yeah. Yeah, Pogs were super popular. I have to plug in the, uh, well, I plug up my AC vent because it's loud when I do podcasts. <laughs> so it starts to get hot in here. Yeah, Pogs were, uh, like, I don't know who started it. I don't know. Did you play Pogs at all? Oh, yeah. That was the first thing that got banned in my school. I was, like, yeah. in first grade or so, kindergarten or you something. You would have been a little young. I think I was, like, fifth grade or sixth grade. We did. Yeah. This. It's funny when you said ripping off kindergartners. We did the same shit with Pogs, and that's of actually course. why it started to get banned because kids would figure it out they're getting screwed, and they tell their parents. Yeah. So <laughs> they had the rule. It's like if you know you you play whatever you flip, you get to keep. And uh, I was really good at what they called knifing, throwing the the slammer up per, uh, perpendicular, up and down instead of flat. I had this yeah. really like skinny. It was like a shuriken, like ninja star looking one. <laughs> and a lot of people would ban those because they were really good. So I would just play with kids that didn't know, like, <laughs> you shouldn't play yeah. with someone with one of these because you can I could, I could, like, I could flip like a hundred pogs. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, I remember I made my cousin, my cousin cry. I, I got his whole collection. I made a bunch of younger wow. kids. Wow. I was, I was pretty much an asshole. And, uh. But, you know, props to the parents. Like, my cousin, I took his whole collection. Like, we played a game. He was a couple years younger than me. We were at school sitting in between, like, the doors of recess. I took all his pogs because he didn't want to <laughs> give up. I took everything. And he, we actually lived close to each other. And he, cr- like, went home and told my uncle and was, like, crying about it. And my uncle was just, like, 
hey, you bet it. That's the way the world works. <laughs> like, it's just like hardcore. A, <laughs> but you, I thought I was going to get screwed. <laughs> yeah. That's a good uncle. But Pokemon, <laughs> let's see, I would have been in junior high. I don't remember Pokemon. I remember some kids having it. I remember, obviously, Magic the Gathering has been kind of popular forever. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember Pokemon cards, so you must. I must have missed that that trend. Yeah, it was like my last years of elementary, and then once we got into junior high, nothing was cool. Like you couldn't you couldn't bring anything from elementary. You had to be a totally new person, yes. right? Jenko <laughs> jeans and skateboards. Uh, Dixon Middle School. Where's that? In Provo. Provo. That's in yeah, west side, southwest side of Provo by. Uh, how could I explain it? Right See, when you get off the Provo West. Center Street freeway exit, okay. and you're going east going... towards the mountain, it's okay. on your left side a couple blocks north. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Jinkos. That's that's a good nostalgic memory. Is Jinkos, man. All the rollerblader black... kids love Jinkos. Dude, fruit booters, man. I was a skater. <laughs> so we, we make fun of them. They're fruit booters. Hey, I hope, I hope my good friend uh, Omar Prestich, who's been on the podcast, doesn't listen to this episode. He's a fruit booter. He's a hardcore <laughs> fruit booter. And uh, his, one of his first games he got into, I think he said it was PlayStation 1. It's called Inline Skating. I don't remember it, but it was like oh, wow. a rollerblading game. Um, he hates the term fruit booter. So sorry, Omar. <laughs> sorry. We're just, juke, we're sorry, just joking dude. around. I was just a cool kid in junior you, high. So I had you to... skated though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you I was skating not, a little bit. I was not good. I was not good. <laughs> Skateboarding is so hard. It is, it is so hard. I can ride a board pretty good, but I cannot I cannot trick at all. There's no there's nothing left. So after uh Ocarina, so you had a sixty four obviously to play that yeah. game. What other then that was the first game that sucked you in. Did you start getting into games more and playing more games because of it? Yeah, I think so. So I'm trying to think, like, the 64 just had so many good games that I was, like, James Bond, right? The first James Bond, 007. Uh, the first multiplayer shooter that I remember ever playing. Um, and the missions were insane. It was just, like, the graphics are horrid. Their heads look like like balloons if you put edges on them, like... Yeah, like an oct- like an octagon shape. I don't even know how to describe their their forms. Triangles was like everything was triangles. Uh, that was probably the first like man. That was the first shooter for me, and I was probably I don't remember what grade that was. That was a big that was a big game for me. I bring all of my friends over. That was like the first game where I brought people over to my house to play games with me. I don't remember any other game. Outside of the Sega, you could only really do two controllers for a while. I guess you could do four, but 64 really supported a four four player game format. Well, it had four it had four ports natively, which none yeah. of the other consoles had. Had a bunch of four player games. We had like Mario Party, Mario Kart. Dude, Mario Party! Oh my god! Yeah, that, late I've had nights. some fun times with that. Late, late, late nights. You don't even have to be a good gamer to play that. That's what no. made it so fun. Mario Party is a great. If you just have, like, nothing to do and some homies or a group of people want to get drunk and just kind of casually yeah. play a game, Mario yeah. Party will turn it into a fun night. It will make it a party, which is funny because yeah. <laughs> it's like this little kid game. But some of the craziest parties I went to in college, people were playing Mario Party. 
Yeah. And it was just getting out yep. of control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, Mario Party was huge. I had, like, I had a couple. I had, like, four and three and four or something. I can't remember. Those are the first big games for me. Really, like, socially, those were a lot of fun. Um, Man, what else did I play? There's a lot of little games. Diddy Kong Racing. I don't know why that's been stuck in my mind for so long. That game was a lot of fun. It was just so goofy. Yeah, it was, uh, I liked what was different about it is Mario Kart had tracks. Diddy Kong and then later Crash Bandicoot Racing had like an open, sort of semi-open overworld. Yeah. You could explore and then get access to the tracks and there was secrets. And so it had a little bit of that like Mario 64 element, like exploring the castle, yeah, finding dude. secret levels, etc. That's what stuck out to me at Diddy Kong. Is Mario Kart with more exploration and more secrets? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Different characters. And speaking of Mario 64, probably the first, one of the first games that uh, that I obsessed over, I think. Like, having to get all of the, the stars and exploring the castle in 3D and just like the controls, the way that you would move Mario was so different to me. I don't know what it was. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember which one came first, Orcarina of Time or 64? Remember Mario that 64 being, definitely came first. That was like their flagship for the 64 when it title. came out, yeah. right? Yeah. So that one was a big deal for me. Uh, Man, dang, dude, the nostalgia pipe is huge right now. <laughs> Mario 64, James Bond, Work Arena, Diddy Kong was a lot of fun. I'm trying to think what else. Actually... At your friend's house, did you guys did you have access to PS One or any other games or PC games at friend's house? Yeah, well, my friends all had. Usually, most of my friends had PS Ones, and I'm looking up. I'm literally looking up a timeline of 2000s games right now. Um, these are let's do 90s 90s games. Um, yeah, for some reason, as a kid, I wasn't really into. Uh, piece or ps4 ps1 uh, i think i just had this like nintendo or die kind of attitude as a kid so i didn't play a lot of ps1 games as you were uh, playing the 64 and getting more into gaming and doing the mario party bringing friends over goldeneye 64 was gaming still just sort of a hobby and you weren't like into pop nerd culture or anything yet yeah no i think because I, I actually struggled a lot in elementary school, junior high, high school. I didn't do well as a student. It just didn't fit me. I had ADD and ADHD really hardcore. I used gamings, uh, games as a way to escape, but I was never obsessed. I was never, like, really, really into it. Um, but I did play a lot of them. You know what I mean? I just used it as a means to pass time and to avoid my homework or responsibilities as yeah. a kid, which isn't healthy, of course, but, like... I never, I don't really, I didn't really consider myself a gamer at the time. Uh, I'm looking at Tony Hawk Pro Skater. That was epic. That was one of my jams back in the day, dude. Um, just so many, I don't know, dude. Gaming has really shaped the way that I, uh, I, I, I when I was young, I used it as a way to escape 
right? I used it as a means of avoidance to avoid my responsibilities, to not feel guilty about not doing well in school or not doing well as a person. So I used it as a way to escape, but it has influenced me so much that it actually is the thing that got me into art in the first place. That's what I was going to ask next. Next is like, obviously I think you were blown away by the art style of Ocarina in that world is did you start thinking about doing art then or was it just like, oh, this looks cool, but the idea of doing art hadn't popped in your head yet? Well, it didn't pop into my head until I was in probably about a year or two before I met you. And I had no idea, had no clue that being a concept artist was a job, that someone was designing monsters, someone was designing environments, someone was designing characters, all of which requires a some 2d art you know someone's got to design these monsters someone's got to design the way that zelda looked or link looked right i had no idea that this was a job and once i found out that people were designing monsters for a living i was like what why am i in college to be an aircraft mechanic i was literally (laughs) i didn't know that's what you were doing that's not a bad job by the way it's kind of cool yeah, it's better than I. It's slightly better than being a car mechanic, but the when the economy crashes, that's the first industry to go, like travel and uh, yeah, 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 that makes aircraft sense. stuff. Um, and I guess if you fuck up, people die. Then you probably feel hair terrible. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. People die if you fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stress. So I was in school to be an aircraft mechanic. I was at I was about twenty one, twenty or something. Um, and I just started drawing to keep my attention in class. Cause you know, classroom settings are just not traditional classroom settings really trigger me. And I just can't pay attention. I really, really, really just start daydreaming. I think about random stuff, mostly fantasy stuff. Cause that's what I use to escape. And so it like, I, I mean, it in the long run, it, it definitely helped, but I was in class and I was drawing and then I found out concept art was a thing. And at that point I was just like, I don't like doing this. I switched to UVU, studied illustration. I didn't know where to study first. They were trying to send me to the digital media department, like the programmers for games and stuff. And then I talked to one of the illustration professors, and he was just like, no, you should be in illustration. If you want to design for games, environment design, like character design, whatever. So it was because of gaming. And I can't give this enough credit. If I wasn't into gaming, even a moderate amount, then I would definitely wouldn't be an artist. I would have no motivation to do fantasy. I wouldn't have the motivation to like create characters or these crazy gods and goddesses that I'm working on right now. All of the gaming that I did, even if it was in like small games, like it doesn't matter if it was Resident Evil or Final Fantasy, like these games all had an impact on me. Granted, they're just kind of time killers for most people. But it was enough inspiration for me to be like, this is a job, and it's possible if I'm just good at it. Okay, I'm going to just jump in. Luckily, I was just ignorant enough to to, to, to jump right in and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a concept artist. Had no idea how fucking hard it was going to be to actually be good at art or yes. even moderately good. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that's Ten years. I mean, that's what I did. You know, start a record label. I'm going to do music. Just naive. Um and then I, I switched to do like a different business because I, you know, I, that's why I, I wanted to talk to you is like, you stuck with it. I put like six years, seven years into music and then I, I shifted I'm like, well, I got to like pay for wife and kids. I need to do something that has a like, not, 
everything's competitive. But what's interesting about like the music or now that I am, I actually have a really good friend that I want to hook you up with. His name's Kelton Cram. He's going to come on the podcast. He he does concept art. He did like cool. the new Jumanji. He did all the Turtles, Transformers, like some big wow. stuff. And he does a lot of um, kind of indie stuff as well too. I, I'll yeah. link you guys up. But uh, that'd be but awesome. I was talking to him about it as he was coming up. I was doing music, and it's really there's some industries where the top one percent make it, and then the top one percent of those actually make a decent lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. where like music. And, you know, and there's other industries where like the top 10% make it and 8% of those have like, it's still competitive, but it's not as, it's not as like zero sum, I guess. There's only so many big movies being made and they only need so many concept artists. There's only so many big video games being made and there's, there's, there's a very limited cap to, to jobs out there for concept art. Oh yeah. For the big guys, for those big high-end jobs, they're all hiring each other. They're all friends, right? Because they're on top. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, smaller mobile gaming, right? There's a lot of small uh, people making just uh, games for your phone, right? They need illustrators to do their load screens, to do their icons. There's a lot of work. It's just hard to find them. It's hard to get your name out, especially with the, the internet being so making it easy for everyone to get their portfolio out there. Like there is, there's no way to predict what road you're going to take. You can't just say, I'm going to be a concept artist for AAA titles. You can't, you literally cannot plan that because every step that you take, every convention that you do, you meet someone new, every meeting, every podcast. Like what if we, what if we meet up with this other guy, you guys hook us up, or you hook us up, like we talk. Maybe I get some big jobs from it. Maybe I don't. Maybe we become friends. Like you and just have ten, no maybe idea. Maybe you become homies, and ten years later, it turns into something. You never, yeah, you never know. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's all of these small baby steps to towards success, and sticking with it the entire time is is fucking grueling. I have I have sacrificed every part of my life, my social life, my love life, my time with my dog the time with myself like i spend every single day making art and it's still after 10 years of doing this a lot it still doesn't feel like enough and it feels like i'm still playing catch up right because i started late i feel like i started late i was in school with people who were drawing from the womb they came out with a pencil in their hand like drawing that's what i was going to ask with your add were you not doodling in elementary and junior high school not I don't I don't remember a single moment in my life, maybe once or twice where I tried to draw and I did a house with a square and then a triangle on top, <laughs> you know, like how everybody else does it. But until I was 22, did I not? Oh, so you dove in, drawing. you dove in with no, like I'm going to be an artist, even though I've never done art. Blank slate, complete blank slate, no experience, no idea. And luckily, no bad habits because I had not developed. That's any of true. Those, right. That's a good point. So I came into a college atmosphere with professional artists teaching these classes, teaching me from a blank slate saying, you need to focus on the fundamentals now. So that's what we're going to do. Color, value, composition, anatomy, lighting, whatever. And giving me all of this information all at once from a blank slate. And I progressed faster than most of the students in my class, right? I was blowing past them 
at the last year that I was in college. The first four years were grueling, being the worst one in the class almost all of the time. Yeah. Until about the last year of school when I was really just like picking up steam really quick, you know. And I haven't been in school since 2016. So it's been about three years now, four years. Yeah, beginning of 16. So it's been a little over three years. And I, I, I've i progressed a lot. I wouldn't say that I am professional yet. I would say that I'm entry-level professional, and I'm yeah. just starting. But you're getting Again. there. Like there is, you're, you're seeing consistent progress. It's just – like I said, anything that's professional – have you heard the 10,000-hour rule? I'm sure you have. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I – so I, the, my first big hobby getting into was drumming. And I did dr- like a ton of drumming from about yeah. – 11 until 18 like seven years and i sat down once and i i just remember being obsessed like i I had a class in high school that i could practice then i'd come home and practice more i'd practice on the weekends i remember like hours and hours working on rolls throwing my sticks getting frustrated like trying to run the song and like i put a lot of hours in and then later when i learned about the ten thousand hour rule and i got good but obviously i'd go online and people would be so much better than me i think how how like i've practice so much drums and then i calculated <laughs> i calculated the hours and i was at like probably at like 3800 hours oh 10,000 hours is is a <sighs> lot of hours like it doesn't sound that oh, long it's a lot it's it's, it's about it's 10 hours it's about 10 hours a day for eight years yeah the thing is you, just, you can't do anything 10 hours a day you can't focus for eight like, years for eight years so you're getting at most like through four hours on like for me, drumming, like the longest practices I probably would get in was four hours, probably the max. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at like 20 years before you master. And this is, that was yeah. an average number, right? But it really put in perspective how much work actually had to happen, which was great for all of us, right? Like, I, I'm probably, I don't even know. There's no way I could calculate how many hours because every day is different. Every day is like yesterday, no, Friday. Instead of going out to the bar, I spent ten hours painting, and I haven't done that for a long time. So I don't spend ten hours. Yeah, yeah, I don't spend ten hours a day. I spend because my process is very efficient. I paint digitally, so I have a very quick style. I have quick steps. I figured out the process pretty well. I can finish my most intense painting right now is maybe fifteen hours tops. If you go to my website and look at like the top three images. One of those might be 15 hours. The rest are under that. So I do spend a lot of time creating, and I create a lot of art very quickly. But 10 hours a day, like, come on, dude. You can't have a social life. Like, (laughs) I'm single. I get lonely, dude. I want to be in love. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I also love fucking painting almost more, almost more than being in love. And I will sometimes, I'll cancel dates. I'll cancel hanging out with friends. I will literally tell my dog no so that I can fucking finish this painting because I'm so pumped on every single one. Sometimes they fall flat. Sometimes they don't, but otherwise like I spend most of my days painting. It's a very, very lonely pursuit. And yeah, I, I played drums in a band as well. I'm still playing. I don't remember the last time we talked, like I was playing in a, in a band a long time ago. You actually did sound. Oh my God. I forgot about this. So you did the sound for my first band on our first show at the Oz Pool Hall. Do you remember that? <gasps> Holy shit. I would that have was... never remembered that. I do remember that. Dude, that was my first show with my first band. 
And we were so bad. <laughs> I remember we showed up and they were like, we don't even have a mixer. And I was like, well. They have nothing. They had nothing. They had nothing. I was like, I had never, I had played a bunch of shows. I'd never been to a venue where they're like, oh, we have nothing. <laughs> oh, really? So I remember like running around to like picking up gear from my studio, like calling. We somehow scrapped something together. Yeah. So funny story about that. My first show was probably my worst show that I've ever played in my entire life. Not because of how bad I was as a drummer. I was terrible, by the way. I was fucking terrible. I'm glad you didn't stay because it was so bad. Uh, so the stage, the drum stage was like three feet too short for my kit. And the legs of my bass drum hung off the edge. So the bass drum had no stability. So it rocked back and forth and it had my toms mounted on top of it. Yeah. So the weight of the toms and me hitting them would rock it back and forth the entire show. And as I kicked the bass drum, cause it I had to pull it away in from really, you. Yeah. I had to pull it in tight to my knees so I could barely hit it. It would slide off the edge and the whole bass drum and the toms on top fell off of this like six inch ledge, you know, where my stage was. And I had to, like, pick it up off the ground in the middle of a set, stop playing. I dropped a stick, and I didn't have any backup sticks in a bag on my <laughs> four toms. So I had to stand up and walk over to grab a drumstick off of the ground in the middle of a song. And it was just disaster after disaster, first show ever. Anyway, and I'm glad you were there. I'm, or at least set it up. That's, that's fucking hilarious. I had completely forgot about that. Yeah. Great memory. Was, Great memory. That was, that was, but you were, at that point, you were into games. So... Yeah. So and once art. you started doing art, did you kind of get into games more at that point? I got more into everything. I got more into reading. I got more into movies, anime, gaming, everything that had a visual language that wasn't of this world. I was so uh, okay. I think a bit the the biggest reason why I started doing fantasy art because I was so used to shutting out the real world. A lot of my childhood was shutting out like how terrible I did in school. So I used fantasy as a means of escape. So naturally when I started doing art, fantasy was the first thing I wanted to do anything that had nothing to do with our real world. So dwarfs, elves, anything high fantasy, anything sci-fi, anything that just didn't exist. I was super fascinated with. So I got really into, I got really into anime because anime anime is just like they have the craziest concepts something that we would never think of for a fucking anime that's true like, mind-blowing fan like just storylines that don't make sense but they tie them together and they're always good what's well, your uh what's your <laughs> sometimes they don't tie together so well i can figure out what you do what's your uh favorite anime right now what's the, um, what's the goat my classic anime my go-to is always uh full metal alchemist Probably the, a lot the of most people, yeah. solid, the most solid story, like the the idea, the visuals, and the animation. Just easily, I could watch it over and over and over, and I have multiple times the whole series. I've only seen Brotherhood, the newer one. I haven't seen the original. Brotherhood is the only one you should watch because okay, the other okay. one is fucking I tried, garbage. I tried the live action movie and I made it about fifteen minutes. <laughs> oh in my god! And was just Don't like, how did this? Who? Who's, I just remember, like, anytime there's a really bad movie or a really bad commercial, <laughs> I get this a lot. You know the commercials at movie theaters, the local ones, for like, uh, Mountain yeah. Star Credit Union? And, like, this, I, every yeah. time something really bad video comes out, commercial, anime, I just think someone got paid a lot of money to do this. 
Yeah. And whose job was it to say, yeah, that's good enough. I think this will work. <laughs> Some shit. It was director. so bad. <laughs> so bad. Dude, some shit director. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I watched Brotherhood on a recommendation from uh, Todd Robbins, Kuma Films. He's on that podcast. And then I, the, I watched it late, like just very recently. And then the live action movie came out like three months later. So I went straight from Brotherhood to the live action oh, movie, and it was so bad. Ruined. 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 Yeah. And for those of you who haven't seen Full Metal, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I agree with Chase. It's, it's definitely – for a lot of people, even if you're not into anime, I've heard people who are not into anime say that they've watched Full Metal Alchemist. Absolutely. That's a very – it's a really, really good intro to anime because it's not campy. It's not that you don't feel like an idiot when you're watching it. There's, you know, a, little, they, there's a little campiness, but it's very minimal compared to But other. if you do the subbed versions and you listen to the Japanese and read the subtitles, it's then all of that goes away pretty much. Yeah. I don't listen to the dubs. No, I never, can't do dub. never do dub. If you're going to try anime, don't do Any dub. Any anime. <laughs> exactly. Don't do dub. Just read the subtitles. Yeah. It's better. I, what I liked about that, for the for those who haven't seen it, it's like it has this really cool concept of alchemy, which – kind of ties back to the the middle ages when people were trying to turn different things into gold and, tr- and they, yeah. they call it transmutation but they have this people have superpowers like marvel or whatever but it's all based on this what they call the rule of equivalent exchange exchange yeah which is like you can't make something out of nothing so they'll they'll use like the the seismic waves from the earth moving change that energy into whatever alchemy fire or wind or whatever they end up using but there's like you, you froze on me man Oh, can you uh, – my back? Okay. No, you're my good. Back. And so I was just explaining uh, equivalent exchange. And what I liked about Full Metal Alchemist is it's it's not really – what's the word? It's fantasy, but it has like a very well thought out rule set. It's, just, you know, it's like sometimes yeah. when you're reading Harry Potter – it all makes sense, and then later you think about – you go back and you think about it or you read people critiquing it. Well, like, what if this and what if that and why this wouldn't work because of that? And a lot of the rules and the spells and the logic don't play out. Mm. Whereas Full Metal Alchemist, I spent a lot of time reading it after – reading on Reddit and reading reviews of it after. And yeah. the rules and the, the idea of equivalent exchange and how things play out, it all makes sense. They spent a lot right. of time building that world and the lore, bef- like architecting it out. So it's, that, yeah, that's why it's so good. Yeah, so it's levels of of ma- the magic systems, right? You have to have like Harry Potter, for example. There is no magic system. There's no limitation. As long as you know a spell like Wingardium Leviosa, you can lift yeah. some shit up, and there's no consequences for the actions, right? You can literally, if you know the spell, you can do it. But with Full Metal Alchemy, you have to give something in order to do something right there's limitations on the magic you can't just do whatever you want which makes a good magic system great it makes a story even better when there isn't some vague like oh it's magic you can just do whatever you want like no you have to sacrifice your brother to get your mom back but your mom doesn't come back she comes back as like some globby whatever spoiler alert spoiler alert that's (laughs) that's the opening episode so yeah uh, no spoiler so anime has played a huge role in sort of the storytelling and my fascination with like worlds that never existed to me. So as we were, as you and I met right in college, I was going through, I was questioning my religious beliefs, right? I, I grew up Mormon. I grew up, I, I wouldn't say that I was involved in any way. I never really liked going to church. I just felt like I had to go to church. 
but a group in the culture nonetheless. So I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. So I was Christian. When I met you, you already had a tattoo, though. So you were already like, ooh, edgy. So I, was, I know. I was like edgy Mormon. <laughs> I was trying to grow my beard out. I'm sure it was like really thin. <laughs> so at the time, I, Diego and I, my buddy that you met, you remember Diego, him and I were questioning religion. Like because of him, I started thinking about like, we read books on Buddhism and we read books on just random religions. And, and then we started reading some atheist literature and it was really, it was really starting to connect with the, the idea that that God, that very specific Christian Judeo God doesn't exist. Right. And then I started to study like, what is the history of God? What is the history of gods in general? Why don't we believe in the Greek gods? Why don't we believe in the Hindu gods? There's a billion people in the world that still believe vaguely in the Hindu gods. Not all of them believe that they really exist, but they use them as examples, right? So I started studying mythology and I started studying the the cultural impact of believing in mythology and gods in general. So while I was in college, I started an atheist club and I went through a very anti-theist. I was, I was one of those athole, asshole atheists that was really in your face, like your God doesn't exist. And I just felt so hurt. So I was like projecting it onto people and it was terrible. It was super shitty. Um, and I'm not, I wouldn't even consider myself atheist. I would just consider myself a believer in mythology. Like I just believe in active mythologies and inactive mythologies, the Greeks, uh, and Hindu mythology is sort of inactive to me. No one really is like following along with it. Uh, no one believes in Greek mythology or like Thor or Zeus. Like no one really actually believes in them anymore. The pagan religions. Um, so it was because of gaming. It was because of anime and then getting into like atheist literature and anti-theism and then mythology is what pushed me into the work that I'm doing now. So all of these things that I've been doing since I was a kid, playing Pokemon, playing Super Mario, playing GoldenEye, playing fucking Zelda, they were building me up into the work that I'm doing now, right? Yeah. Every artist is influenced by every second of their entire life. So you as a drummer, you as a musician, you as a podcaster, everything you've done led you to where you are right now. So the work that I'm doing now is just uh, an amalgamation of every life experience, every minute of my life. And, I, dude, I wouldn't trade any of it. I would go through every second of it again. Twelve years of horrid uh, <laughs> elementary school and high school and then another seven years, six years of fucking college and four years of hating myself and years of being alone and not having someone to love outside of my family, of course, who are very, very supportive of everything that I've done ever. They're the best. It's just been gaming games have been some of the most influential stuff to me. And I still play games. Now I use games as an excuse to, to relax, right? Making art is really relaxing, but it's still a job. It's still like this career that I'm trying to push, but playing games is my step back. It's my nostalgia. It's the way that I release. It's the way that I meditate. It's still, it's always going to be part of my life. And I have to stay on top of it as technology improves, as art improves, as me yeah, as a human being gets better. Like, I can't even imagine what VR gaming is going to be like in fucking 10 years, five years. Like, it's going to be like Sword Art Online for reels, though. For yeah. fucking reels. 
Assuming an asteroid doesn't kill us like a Majora's Mask or something, uh, things are going to get weird. But we can go back in time. We've got three days. Yeah. Someone will have three days. Maybe maybe that's the new Jesus story. Instead of resurrecting after three days, he goes back. What is – I'm curious. So when you make art – I've seen a lot of your recent artwork, which is a bunch of – you're speaking of active and uh, inactive mythologies. I've been following your Instagram, and you do a lot of like God and goddesses. It's been a theme – that I've seen you posting a lot lately when you're when I know other things are influencing you, but just in regards to gaming, you talked a little bit about Zelda when you're making art, are you consciously thinking of any art styles of games or is, or is it sort of just sort of all going to your subconscious get filtered by you? Is there anything that stands out? Like I really love this art style from this game that I'm trying to mix in somehow. Yeah. So when I'm thinking about uh, creating a new painting, I generally have a theme. So I started about last year to backtrack a little bit so I can help explain what I'm doing now. About last year, uh, this, well, beginning of last year, I started making some landscapes and I started making some art that didn't really have a theme or continuous consciousness to it. It was just like, I have an idea for painting. Oh, another painting. Uh, It was just like random. So I started doing a bunch of paintings. And then I noticed after about seven to 10 that they all sort of had a theme and it was generally like epic landscapes, some human, like some kind of beings with crazy powers, like floating rocks in the air and just like very mythological style, epic people with abilities, just that kind of shit. So I I realized that there was a story amongst all this and I had no idea what I was doing. I just noticed it after the fact. And my friend was like, man, the future of being a, a fantasy artist is having a personal project, going to conventions, selling your idea, creating your own stories, writing a comic book or doing an art book with stories in it, that kind of stuff. So I realized like, yeah, there's a theme here. I need to flesh this out. I need to take this idea and just really dig in to my subconscious and why I make art. So I, I dug into mythology. I dug into my atheist phase. I dug into my childhood to figure out what i really really enjoyed about storytelling and and making art in general so i came up with this idea of this because i had a bunch of paintings of gods and goddesses i came up with this idea about an archaeologist who i was branding as me this was basically me in the story this archaeologist named reed who was trying to discover that these old gods used to exist like in his world People kind of believed in the old gods, but there wasn't a lot of proof. So that, like, harkens back to my atheism, right? Like, do does God exist, or what about these old gods? What about all these other gods, the old and the new, right? So this archaeologist named Reed is trying to discover, because he's a, a celestial archaeologist, is what I've dubbed it, which sounds super epic to me. And I'm really it's excited about Celestial that. is a great word. Uh, it's such a beautiful word. It's It's, like, epic, and it's godly, and it's, like heroic at the same time i don't know so he's an archaeologist and he's on a dig site with some of his he works for a university right he's a teacher he works for the university and he goes on dig sites like an archaeologist would to discover artifacts and like dig up some old shit so he discovers the book of olith he on one of his dig sites he pulls out a chest him and his students pull out a chest and the chest opens and it's the book of olith this ancient book the first true evidence that these old gods used to exist. And it tells the story, the saga of the gods and how they, their famed downfall. So the first story 
is the first painting on my website. If you go to that one, it's the three sisters of creation and there are like red, yellow, and blue. And it's like a, a landscape portrait and it's got three women. Those are the sisters of creation. And in the book that Reed finds, he reads the stories of them and it talks about how they created the universe. So every religion, every mythology has a creation story. You know, Hindu mythology believes in uh, the sacred egg or the, the I don't know what they specifically call it, but they believe that there was an egg and it was hatched and it created the sky and the earth. Um, you know, Christians believe in the, in the, um, what's their creation story? God created the, the uh, world in seven days. Adam, oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Before that. Yeah. Seven right. Days. So every, every single religion, every single mythology has a creation story. So I am trying to take all of these similar stories within all of the mythologies and create my own. So the first story is the sisters of creation. And the sisters of creation create the universe, and they talk about how bored they were living in nothing and floating around. So they just created the universe, right? And that's how the universe starts. And then the second story, if you go to my website, which everybody should go to. I'm on it right now. People will be able to see this as you're talking on the video. Okay. So it's artofchasehenson.com. If you're not there already, if you're not seeing it, that's where it's at. Um, And so you can go go to my portfolio website to show all of my paintings. But if you click on the tab at the top or on the, on the far right, uh, and you go to the book of Olith, that's the book that Reed discovers and it tells the story. So I have six store. I have 10 stories with 10 paintings, but I'm only showing six on my website because I'm working on the book and it should be out by the end of this year. That's my, like, this is my life goal right fucking now. Ass. So, I, I'm trying to create my own mythology here. Uh, so I've got all like 10 stories, 10 paintings. I'll put them into a book. There might be more paintings than that. I don't know yet. We're still working on that. It's kind this of is dope. Like a, I was, um, for those of you who want, we'll, we'll get back to video games for the listeners, but I think this is, is cool. Everyone's a little bit different. I, uh, I spend a lot of time. I sheepishly admit, cause I want, I thought about doing art. I spent so much time on art station. <laughs> I'm just fucking for those who don't know what art station is, it's like Facebook for people who are fucking insanely good at art, and there's there's like hundreds of thousands of people that make shit you can't blow. And I'll just like waste so much time. Sometimes I just drink, put on put on a podcast, and just like <laughs> scroll because I have this like sci-fi universe based off Mormonism. Like kind of a similar thing. I've just I do the same thing when I'm ADD. I create worlds and fantasies. And I've had this yeah. idea of where basically – did you go on a mission? I don't think you did, right? No. You didn't do the mission thing. But the mission Not thing is crazy. So did you ever read Ender's Game? Yeah. So you know how Ender's Game, he's a smart kid. They send him to battle school and that's where they train people. And yeah. This, uh, going back to the Alita, the battle – whatever name, Attila, the battle hun, battle nun. They had an idea that I didn't know. I thought was my original idea but apparently it's been around for a long time. But that the, the tiered city – we have the city that's floating. It was in Final Fantasy yeah. VII. Midgar had like a plate above it. In that movie, I forget what it's called. The city's called in that movie, but they have three tiers. And I was thinking of like a post-apocalyptic world where somehow – I won't get into details, but the, the church basically morphs into this like big sci-fi conglomeration. And they have Zion, which the Telestial Kingdom is the people at the bottom. And they're not fully, <laughs> they're not fully integrated into the system. 
and then no. the, the terrestrial, and then the celestial, and then there's actually I don't know if you remember much from Mormon doctrine. There's also like a special celestial, the top level of the celestial kingdom in yeah. the celestial kingdom, and that's for like the, the corporate sp- leaders. Yeah, that's the space station. <laughs> that's gonna be the space station in the sky. But uh, yeah. and basically, the Holy Ghost. You at eight years old, if you want to be part, the world is like ravaged, and there was. Um, uh, CRISPR. Are you aware of CRISPR? No. The ability to gen- it's like a new technology that, that came out in like 2012, 13 it was discovered. And it allows them to to genetically manipulate DNA with a high level of accuracy for oh, okay. a lot cheaper okay. than it used to be. Yeah. Something like CRISPR blows on and that's my excuse for getting superhumans. So you have these superhumans <laughs> that are genetically mutated and then you have the religious people that are against g- any sort of genetic mutation. But they'll do like cybernetics and bi- and like biohacking but they have this religious awesome. thing against altering your dna because it's, it's not god given and playing god or yeah anything. yeah so anyway they have this they have this uh city and to support it for your mission you get sent out to get like raw materials out into the world full of all these like superheroes left over but they're <laughs> living with no technology it's like post-apocalyptic they're like hunter gatherers but they're left over from this genetic revolution that ended the world and all they have is like then they're sci-fi so like the church people are sci-fi they have suits and they get the gift of the holy ghost which is nano machines in what? Their body. so at eight years old when they become part of it and then the church it all it's all a centralized system like google or facebook real-time nano machines reading out your your biometrics your emotional data yeah. your whatever and they can control it anyway all this like i Spend a lot of time <laughs> thinking about shit like this. So that's a long way to yeah. say. That's a long introduction to say. When I'm looking at your your website, I'm like, this is so fucking dope because you're doing the same thing, just like a different. And what I wanted to point out is, I really like the. Um, I'm on just so you know what artwork I'm talking about. Let me go back to portfolio. On the second one, so you have the three sisters is the first one, and then the second one, it looks like the same three sisters. Um, no, so that's. That's Shaila in the orchestration of time. So they're second in the story. If verse one, so I have each story quoted as verses, right? Because I want to do it set up like a religious text. So verse one was the creation story. Verse 1.5 is when Shaila, that woman, and the three three people, they're representations of time. So... After they created the universe, the three sisters, there was time was inconsistent and it was the future was starting before the beginning and the the present never really existed. So, you know, the suns wouldn't set and nothing could really start. So Shaila frustrated with the timeline being inconsistent. She uses her powers to grasp it, to make it flow in one direction temporarily, right? Because time really isn't linear as we know it. She controls the timeline and grabs it and allows time to flow and the sun can set and the moon can rise and the, and the oceans can go in and out. And so that's how we created the part of the creation story is how people became to be, right? Because she's like the, the, the orchestrator of time. So that, that story itself is like a reflection of the three sisters and so the, the each woman, the woman in the middle represents the present time, and she's just a reminder to stay present, right? Because we can worry about the past, we can be nostalgic, and we can be concerned about our future, but if we're not paying attention to the present right now, right, 
like we're not really going to be happy so the story is about like my interpretation of time and what's important to me the present is fucking important to me right my dog is always in the present constantly 100% in the present she is the most present being on this planet so she reminds me as a human to stay present so the idea is just like wrapped up so i take all of these like cliches in mythology creation story the flood story the the apocalypse um the god of time the god of love the god of war and i just put my interpretation into it so that's my most recent painting is the this the creation of time one so i like go ahead i was gonna say what stylistically the art style on this one and then also dream sequence is another one that i've pulled up um i really like I don't know how to explain it. The, what I, the landscape, like mm-hmm. what would you call it? Like the geo formations of like the sandstone rocks. Yeah, that actually sticks out to me. Other than obviously, the, there's something about that style that reminds me a little bit of it's like watercolor mixed with one of my favorite art styles, which is uh, from the series Darksiders. I don't know if you ever played Darksiders. Okay. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's a little element of like the way like. I'm on this dream sequence one, the way like way the as it kind of like moves and it's morphing and yeah with the shadowing, but it's not comic booky. It's like watercolor mixed. It's illustrated. Comic- yeah, it's I really it's like stylized. It. Yeah. So you'll really like the dream sequence one. So in the story, Reed is this is about uh, verse six or verse seven. Reed is on another dig site and he discovers. Uh, a psychedelic compound inside of a necklace that has a vial in there, right? So, you know, a lot of ancient religions would take uh, yes. soma or they would take psychedelics to get in touch with their spirituality. So I wanted to introduce the idea of him taking psychedelics because I definitely have not ever experimented with psychedelics no, in my whole life. Nor should you, children. don't take drugs i don't believe you i'll say it i've done acid a bunch of times and shrooms a bunch of times and dmt they're pretty fun i I wouldn't say they're fun they are something they're they're experimental we'll just we'll just leave it at that (laughs) uh so i wanted to introduce the idea of him discovering his psychedelic compound and he takes the fluid he drinks this fluid and he trips his balls off and he wakes up in that dream sequence. So I'm going to do like two more of those paintings where he's tripping his balls off. But I wanted him to go on a journey of self-discovery inside of his psychedelic experience where he actually discovers that he has divine blood in him. He's the like the 15th removed from the trickster god. So he discovers in this psychedelic trip who he really is. And that he has powers and he starts developing his own powers Uh. based on manipulation of light. So my experience is taking psychedelics, which don't exist. (laughs) Uh, I've discovered a lot about myself and about my personality and self-actualization as well. So I wanted him, Reed, who is essentially me in this whole story, to really become self-actualized after that trip. So he's going on his own journey as I do. And I'm illustrating that. And then it goes on to the next story, and he's like, the university that he's working for uh, tries is trying to discover old relics so they can take over the world and restart an ancient war because they're trying to, you know, it's sort of like the Germans tried to look for very ancient artifacts that gave them abilities and powers of mythology as famed. I don't know if that's really true, but the idea is the same. 
So he's working for them. Little does he know that they're assholes, and he's just going to fight them. So the story will continue after the tenth verse, which where the is where the book ends, and it's just like uh, the story of my life wrapped up into art, it wrapped up in all of the anime and all the video games I've ever played. Is there a specific video game art style that you that you would you would apply is similar to your style? If you had explained, like I said, oh, some of this reminds me a little bit. Like I mean, when I say a little bit, just a tiny bit of Darksiders, because Darksiders is very like Jim Lee comic book. Yeah, but there's so, an element of that in this. How would you describe your visual style? So when I I'm gonna pull up my website so I can just look at everything. Um, so when I am considering doing a piece of art, uh, dude, most of the time I'm heavily influenced by Studio Ghibli, anything Miyazaki. Mm -hmm. I know my work doesn't really reflect that, but the style and the, the dramatic colors and the emotion Right. So when I come up with a painting, I want to portray a certain mood. You know, I'm working right now on a painting on the the rough. His rough title is the God of Depression. Right. He is the stepbrother to the sisters of creation and he lives in the underworld. But you everybody has been depressed. Everybody's been so sad that they feel like they're under the ocean. Right. Yeah. So when yeah. I look to make a new painting, I think about the mood and what I, what is my experience with depression and anxiety. And then I look through, I usually typically look through Pinterest for a mood, a very specific mood. And I find a video game that reminds me of depression. So a lot of the darkness, a lot of like moody colors. And most of the time Zelda usually covers all of the moods. They're very dramatic in their style and their color choice in the in the story behind it right because zelda's always zelda and link are always in like fucking turmoil i mean why don't they just fucking bang and get it over with <laughs> because we need more games that's why, that's <laughs> it's, why. Just, <laughs> just, games. it's just blue balls for 30 years <laughs> so it seems like you're uh, you're referencing zelda i mean that is your main game I mean, it's I the moodiest it's, game that I know about, right? Yeah. It's my connection to mood. It's my connection to storytelling. Like, Breath of the Wild was incredible. Everyone's telling me that. And I tr I got about 10 hours into it and just lost interest. Dude, uh, the more I played, the more interest I got. I would spend hours cooking meals, like hours and hours starting up a fire and throwing in random ingredients to see what I could get. I spent a lot of time <laughs> on that game. Yeah, people, a lot people of fucking love time. that game. Have you ever seen a game called Ori in the Blind Forest? No, but that sounds really familiar. Look it up. Uh, look it up and just go to either images or watch a video. Some of your paintings yes. re remind me of this game. Yes, dude. Yes. I've seen this stuff before on Pinterest. And the, like the mood. Look at the mood in these paintings. Dude, this, this you can is, feel yeah. the emotion. This is one of the best – as far as art direction and vision, it's also a great Metroidvania, which is probably my second or maybe now as I'm older, first like preferred style of game. I love 2D wow. Metroidvania games. That's why I play them all yes. the time. And this is Where one of those. Where can you play this? You can play this I believe on the, like uh, Xbox, on PC, Steam? PS4. I don't, I don't know if it's on Switch. Yeah, so I've I've seen this, and I have some of these paintings saved in my Pinterest. I use Pinterest for everything. 
but I have the mood in these paintings. And I see this kind of stuff. Look at the backgrounds in these 2D scrollers, right? Beautifully painted backgrounds, yeah. very long format. This sort of environment design is where my heart starts crying. I get so emotionally invested in the background art for 2D side scrollers. Like, look at this shit. It's so Isn't that uh, incredible? Think of the hundreds and thousands of people you're inspiring just by doing a fucking background painting. Like, landscapes are very close to my heart because there's so much mood and there's so much just feeling behind them. Have you Stuff played, like this. Have you heard of Hollow Knight? And then Journey. That, that might. Oh, Journey's Journey's amazing. They have a. Yeah. They got a new. What is it? What's that team? Ah, oh, I forget their name. This that first Sony first party show that did Journey and they did Flower. They have an yeah. artsy fartsy name, but they have a new game coming out that looks like Journey 2.0. I forget what yeah. it's called. That Journey's amazing. There's a there's a kid. Uh, Todd Robbins was on. He's my first episode. Kuma Films guy. He had a really interesting story about Journey. I wonder if you did you play Journey all the way through? No, not the whole thing. Okay, they had this amazing mechanic. So they had, they built this beautiful world, and they had one of the best soundtracks. By the way, if you've ever, if you like video game music, you got to check out the soundtrack to Journey. But they had this interesting online mechanic where, like Dark Souls, you couldn't really play with someone, but someone could be in your world. And you could interact with them. You just had some preset emojis. Yeah. And uh, there was a, the game you can play through multiple times and collect these scarf pieces. And a lot of them are hidden in like really hard places to find. And he said the very first time he played that game, it's a long game like a, a, for a single playthrough. It's like a six-hour, five-hour playthrough. Yeah. In the very first area, someone joined his game that had the scarf completely maxed out. Like they had mastered the game. Wow. And they led him through the whole game through a perfect playthrough and got him oh, every my. single piece. And he's like – he said he was like, I wish I knew who that guy was. I would like to meet him because I I like got teary-eyed when I beat oh the game. God. Because it's this emotional game, beautiful background, and this stranger over the internet like led him through this mythological world and gave him a perfect playthrough. And I just think Ooh. that game is as far as putting him, insane. it's insane. Yeah, you should try uh, Hollow Knight's another one that maybe you could get some inspiration from. Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight. It's a little bit different. It's like a. I don't know how you explain the style. You might not like the characters, but the background. Yeah, are dude. Cool. I see this guy everywhere. Yeah, this game is badass. I see this character drawn. Uh, most of the artists that I follow draw at least one of these. Like. Where can I play this? Dude, I'm just going to, like, steam all of these. I played oh, yeah, Hollow Knight on Switch. Um, if you Do you have a Switch? Of course you do. You have Breath of the Wild. No, I borrowed a Switch, so that's uh, how I played. But I need to buy a Switch because everything's coming out on it that I want to play. Yeah, it's on Steam, too. Like, I have, I have it both for Steam and Switch. That's how much I like that game. Dude, it got a 10 out of 10 and 98%. It's so good. Shit, dude. If you like those... 2D platformer, Metroidvania, you're yeah. going to like this. Hell yeah. And it has a really cool lore. Like, if the, you're obviously into lore and world building. Did you ever play yeah. Dark Souls? That's one of the Dark coolest. Souls? Yeah. No, I couldn't get past uh, I couldn't get past the first boss, dude. Yeah. It is, <laughs> I was so bad at it. It's a very hard game to get into. Super hard. But it has one of the best thought-out worlds. And it, it delivers sure. its lore in a very – like, there's no storytelling. There's no cutscenes. 
you, yeah. you pick up the lore of the world from like finding pieces of paper and reading this and reading item descriptions and everything's been thought out and architected out kind of like your world, but they never push it on you. You have to figure it out on your own if you want, or you can just play through the whole game and have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And some people do that. Yeah. That's how Hollow Knight is. When you play Hollow Knight, it's beautiful art style, great gameplay. If you want to get into the lore of the game, you can, and you just have to pay attention to everything, read the descriptions of everything, find all the secrets, and it dude, I've always sense. been into that. Yeah. Speaking of lore that I really dug into, uh, Dragon, uh, not Dragon Quest, Legend of Dragoon. No. Uh, um. Fuck. What was it? What game? What is it? A game? It was a RPG. On that's which really popular. And it's fantasy, uh, dragon. It's probably there is a series called Dragon's Quest. Dragon? No, it's not Quest. That's an old game. I know what you're thinking of. Um, is, it, is it newer? Yeah, it came out. The most recent one came out. Dragon Age. That's dragon fucking, Age. Yes. Oh my God. Let me tell you about my obsession with Dragon Age. Yes, let's talk about... You were the first person to bring that game up, and I love that game. So let's talk about that game. Oh, my God. So I am a huge, huge, huge fan of fantasy RPGs that take more story than action. I am so... I got so involved with their characters and the game style. Like, Dragon Age, I played hundreds of hours into each one. The second one was all right. It was, it was sort of repetitive. The first one was, God damn it, it was so incredible. The gameplay, the story, and the most recent one, number three, I believe. Yes, that's my favorite one. Oh, my God, it was so good. I So I was working for a company called Chrysalis, and I was, I, I was a caretaker for the mentally disabled. But a lot of my job was sitting in the house that they lived in and, like, helping them, like, cook or clean or I'd give them their meds whenever they wanted. But there was tons of downtime. So when Dragon Age 3 came out, I played Dragon Age at work for $11 an hour for <laughs> almost a month and a half. I played six hours per shift, probably 30 to 40 hours a week playing this game and getting paid for it. So I dug into – I played every single mission, every single mission, all the side missions. Every, there was nothing for me to do. All The last things I had to do was like the main quest stuff to finish the game. And I was like, oh, I don't want to finish it. Oh, I did all yeah. the side stuff. I dumped my life into that game. I, I, uh, I'm a very com- – when I get sucked into an open-world game like that, I'm completionist as well. I do all the – and that game in particular, the lore, I love the idea of how they had um, the, the, like the initial political attack that started off, like the blowing up of that – the mages and the knights were all coming together. Yeah. The title screening when you hit start. It blows the building blows up and that's like the political event that starts the whole game. Yeah. And um and the the lore of like the alternate dimension where all the magic comes from. And we have to talk yeah. about my favorite character was Solus the elf. Dude. And then at the very yeah. end, I don't I mean, it's been out for a long time, I don't want to spoil it, but the twist with him and who he ends up really being and how it connects to the the whole world and the lore, I was like, That mother Fucker, you were yeah, my yeah. favorite. Fuck, I was, so... <laughs> but I still love you. But I hate you. I know he, he was such a creative character too, man. I would always pick like it. Really, I played the game one and a half times. The first time I played as a ranged uh, archer, 
okay. who was just like heavy DPS. And so I used uh, who was the the chick that was the tank? Uh, the Alessandra. Cassandra. Was the it night Cassandra? Chick? Yeah, Short, dark hair. Like, yeah, yeah. She was my tank, and then I used Solus a lot for my secondary DPS slash. Wasn't he kind of a healer, or was he mostly DPS? He was mostly DPS. Well, I can't remember how that game worked. I think you could get some overlap <coughs> on like what you skilled. Maybe no. I'm getting it mixed up. I don't think you could heal. Who did heal in that game? I don't even. I remember. don't. There was a. Mm, there was a white wizard chick. She was just a white chick who was a wizard, and I oh, think I she could heal about. a little bit. Yeah. But at that time, like I just had a tank. I had me as a ranged DPS and then a secondary DPS and there was nothing that they could do. I would destroy every monster I came to because I did all the side quests. I was so leveled up that it, we would just be so perfectly synced into each other. I had all my setups. Like if I attack this person, all of you guys attack that, you know, you can set up like what they really do. So I spent time into strategy and like all of the side things. So by the time I got through the game, I was just wrecking. I was wrecking yeah. everyone. I, and, and that's I what I that. like about those games is like if you're going to do the due diligence of all the side quests and stuff, the reward is being so overpowered that yeah. you wreck everything. Like I earned this. I put all these hours yeah. in. That's how that game was. Did you – I liked the lore. I played as the uh, – my main character. I did the – not the ranger but the guy with the two knives, like the thief – the two yeah, shoulders. he had the hat, the big white hat. Yeah, but I did uh, the race of those big like demon horn guys. Yeah, I forget their. I forgot like that that game. Speaking of lore, they were warriors. I can't remember. Yeah, that game had an amazing. Like they have all these different. It's like the idea of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. That's the OG, at least in my. I'm sure there's someone who's way into fantasy you could name someone who did Tolkien before Tolkien. But for me, and then now you have all these other fantasy worlds, and I don't mind that it's. It's like elves and it's similar concepts, but they put new and interesting twists on them. Did you ever yeah. play The Witcher 3? You have to play The Witcher 3 if you haven't. I did play. I played about 30 hours into it, and I'm still not even close to it's finishing that game. game. Yeah. The graphics were incredible. The story, the battling was hard. It was just a hard game. I was really challenged by that. Typically, like, you know, with Dragon Age, I just fucking wrecked. Right, and I get into Witcher, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm kind of a bitch." Dragon <laughs> Age is more of a tactical like, stat game. You're not; it's not; yeah. it's not a skill based. Witcher is a yeah. good mix between stats and skill. Did you? I want to talk a little bit about sci-fi because I know for me, sci-fi is a little bit higher on the totem pole than fantasy. Yeah. What can uh, I do? Can I take a break and go pee? I have to pee really absolutely bad. Absolutely not. If you just chit chat about something while I'm okay. gone, I gotta. I'll chit chat. So right. We're gonna okay. we're gonna look at your website and talk shit on you. <laughs> anyway, so that's Chase. Obviously, we didn't talk a lot about video games, but that's fine because Homeboy is a legit motherfucking artist. If you haven't checked out his website yet, when you're listening, you can listen later. Artofchasehenson.com. Look, I'm going to pull up – if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to pull up some Darksiders shit because I think Darksiders has some of the coolest artwork. And there's some similarities between his artwork – and Darksiders art. Let's type in art so I can actually see some art. Look, look at this. Ah, oh, Darksiders is so dope. Let's get something with uh, the Chard Council WIP. Yeah, let's look at the Chard Council. Open, open image and new tab. 
and then come over here, Tree Spirit. This like, I see some similarities. Maybe you guys don't. Some of the shading, the outlining, it's fantasy, but it's not like hyper realistic. Um, oh yeah, Joe Matt, he's the guy that did. Is he the guy that did all the Dark Sword Dark Siders? Uh, Dark Siders art director. It was some famous comic book artist. Yeah, Joe Mad Marduria. Uh, oh, he's back. All right. All right. Yes, sci-fi. Let's I've talk got about some sci-fi. I've got some games that really changed my life, dude. Let's talk about what's... I, I, I'm going to bet because you play Dragon Age, you had to have gotten to Mass Effect. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. Anything Bioware. I think that's where they get you, right? Like, Bioware... Let's just type in Bioware games. Because uh, let's just talk about story building and world building, right? Yeah, Mass Effect. Do you remember... So when Mass Effect, the game's kind of clunky, Mass Effect 1, if you go back and replay it. Yeah. But what stuck out to me is, one, the art direction of, like, the suits and the ships. I thought the characters were okay, but everything else, I love the art direction. Yeah. Like, I'm a wannabe artist, so I'm, like, one level below you. Art direction is a big deal for me in the beginning, but was mm -hmm. they had the, what they called the Codex, which is in all the games now. But yeah. you could get as deep into that. I remember going in, clicking on the gun, and they had multiple entries on like how the technology of the gun worked, how the technology yeah. of the shields, and everything had been thought out. And I spent Every. like people, my, my friends would come in, like roommates come in and be like, "This isn't even a game. All you're doing is reading shit." Every time I come in, you're just in the game <laughs> reading something. Like, do you even play this game? You guys don't get it. This is like a full-on fucking book that's badass <laughs> but it's in the game and you play it yeah yeah dude yeah. everything was thought out like i remember that and it was all built around the technology of mass effect which was the manipulating i forgot how it worked like the guns wouldn't actually the reason you had infinite ammo on a lot of guns like the pistol is it used like heat and it would break off chunks of a slab and it would accelerate it like a mini mass effect drive yeah. And then Mass Effect, the Mass Effect drive was how the shields work, and they explained why, like, you could melee through shields, but yeah. not bullets, because shields worked on a velocity. That way you could have your shield up, and someone could come and shake your hand, because your hand's not moving at a certain velocity, but it would yeah. work off, like, velocity. They had everything fleshed out. Everything. Everything. Armor, game, like, armor, the weapons... Every aspect, they're like, yeah, you got to create a backstory to it. You, you can imagine being on that design team. Holy fuck. I mean, how many years did it take in between games? The first one came out, oh, and the ratings were incredible. I remember when the first one came out, and it was everywhere, dude. Everywhere. Did so I'm looking Mass at... Mass Effect was released... Mass Effect 1. 2007... Oh, there was four games. Three oh, and then yeah, you Andromeda. Haven't played Andromeda. Andromeda people hate. Oh, uh, I didn't like it. I, I played it. The best battle system of all the games, the worst everything else. But the battle yeah. system was amazing. Yeah, they really fine tuned that. I think Mass Effect two was easily my favorite. Mass Effect yes. three was good. Mass Effect two was just oh God. And same with That's Dragon Age, right? The same sort of battle style where you had you might be a short-range shotgun guy with tons of health, and then you had a long-range guy, and then you had a sniper on your team. You know, you get to decide what your what your strategy format is: tank, yep. healer, long-range, whatever you're doing. 
So I was typically like, I think in number two, I was a short range. I remember having shotguns and a lot of biotech stuff so I could yeah. float them in the air and blast them with a shotgun. I would just move in real close. And then I had a sniper and a, a mid-range guy with, uh, with all kinds of stuff. But I remember actually when I was in my oil painting class in college and one of our assignments was to paint a character – just paint a character. They were the open assignment. I picked uh, Rex from Mass Effect and painted him. I don't... Oh, man. I don't even have an image of him. I might... Somewhere in up. this room... He's, a cr he's the I'm, Krogan, yeah. Hold on. Let me find Rex. I have him right here. And for those who are listening, the Krogans are like... These battle-hardened survive everywhere. So, right here, Rex. Oh, See that? nice! There he is. This Hell was yeah. one of my first my first oil paintings that I did uh, seven years ago for my my intro to oil painting class. And he was like one of my first characters that turned out good for that time. I look at it now, and I just want to punch myself in the balls but <laughs> that's how being that, the artist works <laughs> that's that's how influential the game was at that time i was playing probably number three andromeda was a little after that yeah it was probably number three either way like that game alone just the technology and just like <sighs> you can pretty much do anything right you can just create tech it's fantasy but there's science behind it, and that's really interesting because there's some backing to it. They, they what they do is they take some legitimate science and sort of extrapolate it, and but it's based and, in a little bit of reality, which makes yeah. it so fun. Yeah, yeah. So I think Mass Effect, as far as I mean, I played a little bit of Halo, so like number one and number two were cool. I was never super into that. Um, you're I think you're actually your guest number. I don't know if chronologically you'll be number eleven or twelve uploaded, but you're the first one that didn't talk a lot about Halo. Halo is like really? this huge cultural phenomena. I had a kid from the UK, he's an artist, does like lowbrow, like political satire, like Rick and Morty type art. Mm. And uh, he Halo for him was massive over in the UK. Like everyone brings up Halo, and. Uh, you're the first person to sort of like, yeah, I played a little bit of it. Not a big deal. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was a fun game, right? But I never got sucked up into the lore of it. Halo was just – I actually remember the first one coming out on my – I was working for my dad as a carpenter. In his shop, he had a computer that had preloaded Halo 1. And this is probably when Halo 2 was out, so Halo 1 was readily available for everyone. Yeah. But Halo 1 was a, like a free – it was a trial on his computer. And while he was gone, I would play Halo 1 when I should be doing like carpentry stuff, <laughs> like helping my dad in his small business. But I'm fucking playing Halo 1. So I guess it sort of had an impact, but I was just using it as a means of avoiding <laughs> avoiding, <carpentry laughs> avoiding real life. Uh, and I'm trying to think what what are the sci-fi games that I really play. Um, Portal, Portals Two, I played that. That was fucking. I love puzzle games. 
as an artist, most artists really enjoy puzzle games. We really like to figure out systems and how the process works. Yeah. So puzzle games are huge for artists. I'm pretty confident in that. So Portals 2 was like, that was a lot of fun. I Did really enjoyed that. you play like Puzzle Fighter? Street Fighter Puzzle no. Fighter? That's no, the only never. game I've ever got into. Yeah, I played, uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through games right now. This is a lot of fun, dude. Uh, Gears of War, I played a little bit of that. That was fun. It just felt like another third-person shooter to me, though. When I first saw Gears of War, it blew my blew me away because it was, at the time, 360. It was an early 360 yeah. style, so graphically, it was a big jump. And yeah, really for the first one. me away, yeah. So, another game. Before I started doing art, before I started doing anything creative, man... I look back at this time with like with with a mixture of distaste and nostalgia and like love for World of Warcraft. I played <laughs> yes. I played yes. listen. <laughs> yes. I played World of Warcraft for about a year and a half solid at about 7 to 8 hours every single day. I can guarantee you, you there was probably in. a couple days off, but I played very consistently six to eight hours every day for ye- for a year and a half. This was during the first Obama election. I remember it just happening at the same time and us talking about it in the chat like we all knew what we were talking about. I would raid. I would do the battle, the battle stuff, like the PvP stuff. I played that game every single day and i got nothing from it <laughs> i got <laughs> I wasted, i've never played a game longer than i did world of warcraft for a solid year i probably put in 5000 hours i had to have there was so much time invested into world of warcraft and it was right before the wrath of the lich king came out and then it, i played a little bit of lich king uh and that's when i quit I was playing way too much, and it got really repetitive. And it was it was a lot. I would do the raids, like thirty party, thirty people raids, twenty five people raids. I would be in raiding guilds. I would be on Discord with everyone, and we all coordinated this these fucking massive dungeons together. Oh god, fucking Blizzard, man! <laughs> it really fucked me up. They did it with Overwatch too. It was first-person shooter, basically World of Warcraft. You have healers and DPS and tanks, like, same format, same craziness of Blizzard. Oh, I invested so much time. I still have friends today that I made from World of Warcraft that I'm friends with on Facebook, and I've, I've been following their life for the past 15 years. That's a good thing. So you got, you got that's one semi-positive thing, or positive thing for sure, that you got yeah. out of it. Yeah, so at the time, I was playing with these people that were literally my friends that I'd never met in my life. And then I, at, on the weekends, I would party so goddamn hard with my real-life friends, right? So I would spend six days a week playing World of Warcraft, working part-time at a dry cleaners in fucking on the east side of Provo. And then on the weekends, partying with my friends, doing the dumbest shit you could possibly do for years and years. And it was just like... 
a blur. It was just like it was a lot of it was a lot. It was a a lot of wasting time. A lot of a, avoidance. I have a similar. I think a kind of around time. I'm trying to think. I met you at the Smash tournament, which means I was living with my buddy Todd, who came to that Smash tournament. And, yeah. And shortly after, like we stayed in touch online to see you at the gym. I uh, I sold alarms door to door. I made a bunch of money my first year, and I came home. I didn't work for two years because I made, I think I made like fifty something, forty eight, somewhere around fifty k that Jesus. summer. And, and uh, I came in and I rented a house, which is now torn down in the south end of uh, Orem, right as it goes down the state street, goes down the hill and turns into uh, Fifth West. Yeah, there was a there was a, there was a house. It was the A frame house. It was like a log cabin type house. Did you ever come over to a party there? I think you did because we threw a lot. I don't know. I probably invited Maybe. you. I have, I have vague memory. But anyway, I paid for the place for a year in advance with the homie. <laughs> and then we just rented out the rooms. And I, yeah. and then I paid for it again like the next year. And I lived there for about two years total. I left a little bit early. Similar thing where I, I, had, uh, I wasn't done with college. It's like halfway through college, but I made all this money. I did nothing. I didn't play World of Warcraft. But what I did do is every morning – Without fail, minus one day a week, the weather was bad, especially in the summer. I'd wake up pretty late because I stayed up late the night before, and I would suntan and read comic books and drink <laughs> like Diet Dr. Shasta in the backyard <laughs> and smoke weed. Smoke weed, read comic books Diet in the Dr. backyard. Shasta. I had nothing to do. I had all this money. Like I said, I didn't really get any, I didn't really get anything from this time because I accomplished absolutely oh, nothing for two that years. That sounds amazing. But I fucking read a lot of dope <laughs> comic books, and I don't know if you ever heard of a series called The Preacher. Yeah, I've been, I've been watching the show, and I read the the graphic novel. Yeah, so I went I went through all like nine preachers or whatever. Uh, same thing. Like I look back at that time, kind of like you fucking dumbass. Like you did nothing. <laughs> but the flip side, I also had a great time. It was great, and it's it a little a blurry because the same I thing. I don't regret. I don't regret my year and a half of Warcraft and getting smashed with my friends on the weekends like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of growing up. I think it's, it's a part, part of, of being it. who we are. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't be who you are without all of those comic books. I wouldn't be who I am without all of the the avoidance and the technology and the games and the art and the psychedelics like experimenting and experiencing life is how you build personality. If it's nature and nurture that develop you as a person, then all of the nature that you put yourself into all of the experiences that you do, right. Could turn, you could, it could turn out bad. We could have been in a rehab together. We could have been like old rehab buddies who were sober yeah. for nine months and then got back on the heroin and then moved on. Right. But eventually it turned us onto games and to entertainment and to things that are at least productive for the most part, depending on your uh, viewpoint of what's productive. Art and entertainment stuff usually isn't considered uh, a career path for most people. But as, us as creatives, like this is our lifeblood. This is what we yeah. do. We have to watch movies. We have to play video games. That's what inspires we have you. To be, yeah. We have to follow story. And I think story is the biggest thing. Amongst all gamers, any gamer watching this, any of you out there who are watching this, if you play games, if you make art, if you fucking watch movies, you are consuming Stories. someone else's mind. Like yep. the shit that came out of their fucking head. And then it 
moves into this creative cloud that we all work on together, right? I've always felt like creativity is this massive cloud that we all download from, like all of our creative consciousness in this giant cloud above us, right? I've seen something from a sci-fi movie and I draw from that and put it into my art. Creativity doesn't exist in this in this nebulous random area we're all drawing from the same inspirations and nothing's really original anymore right i was just gonna say have you ever seen the documentary series called everything's a remix yes 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 it's the same idea like there's just there's more finite uh what's the word everybody's using the same ingredients but they might split them up and mix them different but there's really I, i remember making this joke which i've seen i think i was the originator of this joke probably not Probably parallel I thinking, so. but I believe in you. Early on in making music, like you said, it's art. Nobody believes in you. I was like, oh, I'm going to start making. I was playing drums in like metal prog bands. It's like fuck this. <laughs> the band is hard. I'm going to make beats. And I heard a guy named Polish Ambassador making these really dorky video game funk beats. And I went to a show and he sold out this like this whole club in Park City. And he was making a full time live, kind of like you with concept art. I was really like. I met a dude who I liked his music. I hung out with him backstage. He's like, yeah, I've been doing this for a few years, and now I, I tour and I pay my bills doing music. I'm like, oh, I'm just yeah. going to do that now. And same thing with <laughs> avoidance. I was selling alarms in St. Louis door-to-door, Oof. and I, a friend was giving me uh, – a lot of those door-to-door guys abuse Adderall to, like, get out there and work. So that's how you make it. That's how you make it. <laughs> well, I got a hold of some Adderall from some dudes there, and instead of going out and working, I downloaded – I pirated Ableton Live Music – and I taught myself how to like. I worked just enough to make enough money to get by, because my my two years had run out from my first summer. This was like my fourth summer. I made. I figured out how much do I need to pay for rent and for tuition and everything. Once I had sold enough alarms to do that, you couldn't leave early because if you leave early in these summer programs, they take your back and you don't get all your money. Yeah. So I had to work a little bit just to not like get kicked out, basically. But all my free time was just I'm going to learn how to make music, and um. Nobody believes in you, and they're like everyone's just like blah 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 blah. Yeah, you were doing that damn son stuff for yes, a while, right? A long time, like five years, six years, something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually know what that was. Was it a, was it a clothing design company or music or what were you guys doing? <laughs> Spoiler alert: neither did we, which is why nobody else knows what it was. It started out <laughs> as a as a record label, and then became like a lifestyle brand and clothing, and we just. It kind of just my partner, who's actually now he's been on the podcast, Omar, that I started that with. It was his brainchild. He brought me on. He is now the social media manager for K Swiss. He's like over oh, all wow. their social media. So Jesus. he's he's like kind of Damson's still there. It's still growing, but no one's really putting any work into it. It's really just a lifestyle brand now. It doesn't we? Don't, there's no music releases or anything. It transitioned to a lifestyle brand. But yes, you nailed the problem with is why I think it didn't. Well, it did work out. That's the thing is I – like you have. You've been at art for 10 years. I think people had this expectation. They don't understand going full circle how long 10,000 hours is. They don't understand <sighs> what the price really is to pay. So it ends up happening. What I did with music is I, I got five, six years in, maybe 5,000 hours, and I had made a lot of progress with music compared to a lot of my peers. And I was making money but not enough. Yeah. And eventually I was like, well, I stopped and I because I had this expectation, well, if I was doing it right, if I had the right type of music, if I had the skills, I would have made it already, which is not the way to think now in hindsight. 
No. <laughs> no. Not the way to think. That's not how it works at all. Oh, my God. So you should no. keep doing it, by the way. You should not stop doing art because eventually well, it'll stack. All your work is going to stack eventually to some point. It's long term. Yeah. Anything creative is always long term, right? And I know I can uh, – I just uh, – fuck. It took me a long time to figure out that art isn't a short-term gains and anything worthwhile isn't sh- isn't short-term. Anything short term isn't worthwhile. I should say it that way, right? You can make quick money uh, buying and selling old antique shit on eBay, right? In a year's time, you can find some old shit, sell some new shit, whatever. You can make money very quickly. Art is a very, very long term process, and it is not. It is not for everyone. Art as a profession. I should say art as a hobby is for everyone. I think everybody should be creative in their own way, whether it's storytelling or music or clothing design or fucking playing drums. I play in a band. I make zero money from that. Literally. I spend more money playing drums than I do like from my gigs that I play. We've actually got a show on the 16th coming up at Bill Harris music on a, it's a Friday. So that, isn't that y'all Spanish are Fork Springville, right? No, so Bill cool. Harris is in Provo on 300. Uh, oh, it's got the on, big glass uh, windows. I know. You're yeah, talking the, about. yeah, the big one uh, on 300 South and University Avenue. What's in your Provo. band called? Momrath, M-O-M-E-W-R-A-T-H. Momrath. It's from the uh, Alice in Wonderland poem, Momraths. Uh, it's check out your Facebook Moan yeah, Rath. look up Momrath on Facebook. We got a show coming up on the 16th at Bill Harris Music in Provo. So if y'all are into that, fucking show up. Dude, I would love to see you there. It has been 15 years since you came to our first show. I would love to see. Is it the same band? You... No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no. But I would love to see like the progress. The last time you saw me play, I was probably like shitting all over myself. I was so bad. But I've, I've progressed a lot in that in that sense. It's more of a hobby for me, actually, music. But anyway, regardless, where was well, I going with that 16th rant? 16th of August, right? Yeah, 16th of August, which is a Friday. Find so not this weekend, but the next weekend, the 16th at okay. Bill Harris. Is there a Facebook event? Because I can't find it. We're going to make one soon. Make one and send it to me, and then I'll go to my calendar and... That All right. Up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so anything, anything creative is long term. If any of you out there are are wanting to get into art, don't get into art because you want to make a living. Get into art because you fucking love it. And art is music. Art is art is video games. Art is uh, writing. All of it is art. Art is a very general term for anything creative that doesn't involve going to a fucking call center and working 18 hours a day. Like we all have to work shitty jobs. All of us just be creative in your free time. Right. I don't know where I was going with this rant, but it I, ended I started on ranting too. And then I forgot. And I was like, well, maybe he'll remember and bring us back around no. the circle. But- <laughs> I just, I'm a, I'm a tiny bit drunk. So my rants <laughs> are just going off. I get super passionate, dude. This is, this is what I spend my entire goddamn, all of my mental energy. I'm at work. So I work at a treatment center for, for teens with learning disabilities, uh, ADD, ADHD. It's sort of like a therapeutic residential treatment center. Um, and they're transitioning out of like a wilderness program into this program 
and then we push them into college or jobs, whatever they're trying to do. Anyway, when I'm at work, when I'm with these kids, all I talk about is art and how it inspires me. All I think about is the next painting I'm going to work on. What's the next story in my mythology that I want to create that involves well, that will just progress the story in general. I've got a creation story. I've got an apocalypse story. I've got a flood story. I've got, uh, I'm sure there's a starvation story that I'm missing. There's the God of depression that I'm working on. It's just like, how, how do I interject my, my, my own life into my own art and still make it marketable at the same time? Right. I could make all kinds of art. Yeah. It's, fucking hard how do you make music as a drummer that is good enough for people to show up at a venue to see you play you were doing some like electronic stuff mixed in with your drumming back in the day a couple years ago how do you get people to connect with that right how do you interject your own personal experiences into a creative physical or auditory medium that's insane the 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 insanity of that is just fucking mind-blowing I think that my the, if I was to give myself advice now in hindsight is uh, you, you you do have to figure out how to make it marketable, um, but I think that's second tier. I think what you should do first is have it be something that it has to be music that you legitimately like. My my songs are super nerdy. Some people like them. The most important thing is when I finish a song, I will like jam it out and get off on my own song. Like I like yeah. if someone else made this, I would be because <laughs> there are other people that make similar. And like I have weird tastes. A lot of people that are my favorite artists, other people are like, yeah, they're okay. But to me, it's creme de la creme. It's the cream. Yeah. it's the cream of the crop, baby. It's got to be good. And so if I can get off on my own song, I'm like, okay, that's step one. Step two is to kind of get it out there in front of the right eyeballs. And then secondary, be like, okay, I know I've hit it where it's it's emotionally honest or it's creatively honest. It's something that I really like. Yeah. Now let's go over through with a filter and maybe try to make it more accessible. Maybe shorten this spot. Maybe tighten this up here because if you're not a hardcore into this style like I am, you're not going to appreciate that. Like maybe let's try to – but the core is first – creative honesty what you really like what you want to express whereas in yeah. the beginning i spent a lot of time like i need to make a song like this trying to and you're not yeah. really you, you learn good no. skills but it's not really no. the right way to go about it right so let's let's talk about it. let's talk about creative honesty for a second right if if video games and all the things that we're talking about build up to who we are now what is creative honesty dig into your past what is what are the things that ex- inspire you the most why do you like those things? What are the connecting things between Zelda, between Bioware games, between fantasy, between concept art? For me, right, it was story. It was an exaggeration of color. My visual senses, like I was really attracted to very saturated colors and punchy contrast and really dramatic ideas and things that just didn't exist. So you dig into your past what are the things, what are the, what are the connecting things between all of these mediums that you really, really enjoy? And how do you work that into your own art, into your own music? And that takes a lot of self-actualization, self-discovery. And for me, it took, uh, I actually had to leave the country and drive to Canada in 2016. So I was, 
I had a, a tattoo apprenticeship in Salt Lake. I remember one, in, that. I ran into the gym and you started doing tattoos. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. I remember that yeah, yeah. exact conversation. Yeah. So let's talk about that, right? Because this is a moment of self-discovery that fucking ruined me and saved me at the same time. So I was in school to be an artist. I was at UVU. And I was approached by one of my professors who was working at a tattoo shop once a month to teach them painting classes. One of the best artists in the state, who I will not name because he doesn't deserve that, wanted an apprentice. And so I, he talked to my professor, and my professor thought of me immediately because I was one of the only people who were tattooed. I was one of the only people who thought was like counterculture-ish, who would yeah. fit into that genre. So I applied for the apprenticeship. I sent in my portfolio. I got in. I was so excited. I was beyond excited. And this is one of those crushing moments where, as an artist, you either quit or you just move on, right? Uh, I was so fucking excited because I always collected tattoos. I was more of a receiver, a collector of them. Um so I got this apprenticeship at the best shop in the state at, with one of the best Is artists it in the state. 21? I've heard that's the best shop. I, I'm not even going to name names because okay. I don't want to even involve I'm just saying, them. okay, if I want a tattoo, I was told to go to 21. Should I go there's there? Some good, there's some good artists there and there's some good artists at uh, Big Deluxe. Big Deluxe? One, Big Deluxe in Salt Lake as well. Okay. Anyway, but there's a couple. Sorry. There's a couple, like, every shop has, like, one really good one, but 21 has some really good ones, and there's some other ones. But I'm not going to name names, because I don't, I don't feel like they deserve yeah. this. Okay. Uh, well. Don't worry about it. I just, it I, I have a video game tattoo. I have three tattoo ideas that I've been sitting on for a long time. My wife keeps, my wife wants me to get a tattoo. She's like, you just need to do it. Stop being a bitch. Go get a tattoo. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm like, I have a friend that had a really cool tattoo idea that, the tattoo like kind of got messed up originally. Then he had someone else try to fix it, and now he's just got this like blob on his arm. And yeah. I'm terrified of that happening. Yeah. So I'm like, don't, I... don't pay, don't pay cheap. You'll yeah. be fine. Go to 21. You won't regret it. I promise okay. you. They have good artists there. Anyway, so I uh, actually have a Zelda Legend of Zelda tattoo on my arm. I have the Triforce Eagle from the Shield on my arm right now. The whole my whole forearm. Anyway, long story. Like that's that's a whole other deal. Um, so I thought that this apprenticeship was my in that as an artist, I was going to make lots and lots of money because they charge 120 to almost $200 an hour as a tattoo artist. And the guy who I was working for was working six to eight hours a day at $150 an hour, so he's eight hours, six days a week. Sometimes at $150, he was pulling in like. Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a month. Like it, ju- it really depended. You know, it'd come and go. It'd like yeah. depending on his. But he it's had a very money. consistent time base. So that's an insane amount of money. Imagine working your full time job at one hundred fifty dollars an hour instead of whatever you're making now. Like I don't, I have no idea what you're making. But imagine one hundred fifty dollars an hour at any job doing anything. That's fucking insanity. That's like three hundred thousand dollars a year. If you work that consistently, whatever that is, that number's off. I just made that up because it sounds dramatic. Let's see. I'll see. If you're doing I mean if you're doing ten thousand ten thousand a month is hundred and twenty thousand a year, because that's easy twelve months. Yeah. That's um, a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of fucking money. So I was set, right? So I went through this apprenticeship for six months. 
working free labor six days a week, seven to eight hours a day. I would drive to Salt Lake twice a day. Well, there and back six days a week working for free during this apprenticeship. Eventually, I just got so burnt out and exhausted and I hated the industry and I hated the art. And I just like I, I didn't know at the time that I really hated it until he fired me. He just cut me off. He was just like, you haven't been showing up. You've been doing this. You've been doing that. You're done. I'm sorry. That's it. And I was like crushed. And I was like, fuck him. Fuck you. Fuck the industry. Really, it was my fault. I just wasn't really into it as I thought I was. You make yourself into it, but you weren't. Right. I was, I was, I was all dewy eyed from how much money everybody was making and what the genre was. Right. So I was crushed. It was the, it was the, it was like May of 2016. It was around my birthday. It was right after my birthday, actually. And I was crushed. I thought I was done making art. I thought I was done creatively. Like I was ready to quit. And, uh, there was this workshop called Legendeer. And it's put on by these illustrators who go to different national parks throughout the world. Uh, like one time they went to Yellowstone. The other time, the one that I went to was in Banff, which is in Canada, which is the most epic national park. Like a fantasy landscape, mountains that are just fucking mind-blowing. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. these crazy spots. So they go on these week-long camps. And then at the end of it is like a three-day workshop. And they really dig into you as an artist. Like why are you interested in color? Why are you interested in art? Why did you start doing art? And really, really fucking dug into your history. And they started like, they started this workshop with one of the Native Americans of Canada. They were called the First Peoples Nation. They started with like a prayer and then some poetry. And then it was like this really, really very hippie, like intro into like cracking you open emotionally right and then really digging into who you are as an artist so it took one of those to get into creative honesty so speaking of like this really long rant i had to go oh, through that's tragedy. What it was. creative honesty that's what started this yes i had to go through tragedy i had to go through excitement i had to go through just being crushed within a year's time to get to creative honesty to figure out why why the fuck am i interested in art Really, it came down to story. It came down to like beings with a lot with powers, people who are super powered, like gods who have the ability to create planets, and just uh, my atheism and my religious background and everything involved. So, if we're talking about creative honesty, start a fucking journal. Write down the things that you're what really draw you to art, who your favorite artists are, and find the connecting parts. And then how do you take that and mix it into the fundamentals of whatever medium you're working in? Is it music? You got to figure out tempo. You got to figure out key. You got to figure out fucking, you know, more than I, I'm not, I'm a drummer. I'm not really a musician. I just hit things with sticks. Hey, 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 hey. I <laughs> don't more of a, that, but you're more I, of a musician there might be than some I am. Drummers out there that, Hey, we're musicians <laughs> too. All right. Come on. Right. Why do you listen to certain bands? What is it about this band and this band that are connected, right? Figure out what you're fucking interested in and draw those fundamental yeah. things out of it and mix it into your own style and just create your own shit. Who cares? If you suck, you suck. You're going to get better. Don't you're going to suck. Just, yeah, you, 
No one is no one is good when they start. No one is good for a long time. No. For a long, long time. Every single one of your favorite artists sucked worse than you did at some point. I guarantee it. I saw a, a quote that people pass around amongst creatives, artists, and musicians. It was like, you get into some type of art, whether it's music, illustration, <laughs> writing, because you have good taste. There's certain things that you like a lot and you, and you have in your mind like, oh, you, that's how I am. would be really awesome if I took an element of this style, an element of this style, and combined them this way. In your mind, you can hear or see something like, that would be dope. But you don't have the skills to actually take that idea and execute it and manifest it into reality. Yeah. So when I you think first I saw start, video. yeah, when you first start, your skills are so rudimentary that you don't even come close to what you have in your head. And then as you get better, you can you 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 actually can manifest it. And then sometimes the idea you start with because your skills are good, they'll they'll take you somewhere else. And then you yeah. end up with something you weren't even thinking. And those can be some of my best songs that have done the, at least the best with play counts um, have been songs that I made. And, like, it's always the ones that are fast. Yeah. So it's one sit down. And then my best song, was, it's like at, like, a it's only because it was on this big YouTube video. But it's at, like, close to a million plays. None of my songs are even close to that. But that song was me avoiding knocking doors, taking Adderall, and I put it together in, like, five hours. <laughs> and it was just like, I, but that's because i that's because i had spent years developing the skills for that to happen right the yeah. fundamentals of the medium yes. and that is the most important thing we can drive home you can be an artist without understanding what value and color and composition and anatomy and whatever any of that is but it's going to be hit and miss if you understand the fundamentals of music of art You'll better understand how to push the mood that you're trying to go for, right? Yep. So I steal things from my favorite games, my favorite movies, my favorite ideas, but I'm understanding the fundamentals of why that movie is so impactful on me. I understand that now, and that's how I push that into my own work. And then eventually technique and skill will layer on top of that. You just have to keep doing it. You'll make a song that's like your breakthrough or you'll do a painting that's like your milestone piece. It's the best piece you've ever done and the most dramatic piece of music you've ever made. And then everything after that is like kind of peters off, right? It goes across the map. Yep. And then you'll learn something new and it'll shoot you up. And it's all these small plateaus of progress. And it's never just like he's just gifted. It's just this, your, your God-given talent that – that fucking drives me crazy, by the way. There's no such thing as talent. It's time and effort equals uh, skill. I slightly disagree. No, there, time, there and are, e time yes. times effort equals skill, and yes. then it's from there. But there are people – because when I was actually selling alarms and it wasn't the right fit for me, I, would, I, I could motivate myself to make enough money for school, but I could never get myself to be one of the big hitters. I could go out and sell my best days four. If you sell four every day, you're making like 500k at the end of the summer. But I Oof. couldn't do it every day. I could sell it. I could sell three or four when I really wanted to. And then I then I wouldn't work for a week because I hated it. And I had this. The the manager said this really good thing. He's like, look, I you, you have some natural ability to do this. I'm saying not every the playing field isn't easy, right? There are people that can learn things quicker or have more of a natural knack. They always say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. But if uh, you have a natural affinity and you work your ass off, that's uh, how you get the best of the best. And so it's important, I think, for you 
Yeah. When, when you decide to go all in on something, don't go all in on something that you know you are like kind of don't have a knack for. Like I wanted yeah. to be a pro snowboarder. I screw up snowboarding. I'd always get good grades, so I get a pass to the canyons, whatever, for like two hundred bucks as a junior high kid. Yeah. But I suck at doing anything gymnastic, like inverted, and <laughs> like I would have friends that were good at it, and so I would see like, okay, we're both the same age, both like pretty much the same, but we try a new trick, like say this rail or say this pipe trick. I will have to try it a hundred times before I can stick it. They have to try okay. it five times. There's some so sort there's, of talent going on there. There's something to say about natural inclination, uh, 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 a natural understanding of what you're trying to do, yeah. right? When you just naturally draw towards basketball, you might be better, right? But it still takes time. Yes. Times effort equals talent. And that's it, right? You might start at a different place. Like I, I started at the fucking bottom. bottom. Yeah, the absolute bottom, and time, times effort, and I got higher than most of the people in my class and most of the people around me. Like I, I progressed super, super, super fast. But for me, I, I never felt like there was a natural inclination to art. I learned it. It was a learned yes. through time and effort that I understood the fundamentals so thoroughly. And still are learning. I'm not like I'm not saying I'm on the top of understanding. That sounds really pretentious. But I, I, I learn fast, and maybe that's the trick, right? Some people know how to learn better than I others. think. That's also is really talent comes down to. I've broke. I've had the same conversation with some other friends. It's not necessarily talent. Like, oh, you're really naturally talented at this. I break it down into like two. There's physical learning. Like, are you good? Do you have a good connection to your body and coordination? Uh, do you know how to learn how to move your body and yeah. develop those pathways to do things that are awkward? Whether it's like yeah. gymnastics, tricking on a skateboard. Skateboards are really awkward balance. It's really nothing like walking, right? It's, it's Or you have more creative skill-based, whether it's math, yeah. any, anything. Like learning how to learn and knowing what type of learning you're good at. I would wager, even though you didn't play with art at all until you had this moment, like, I'm going to be a concept artist. I bet that you probably have some sort of a natural talent because you might have been crushed in the beginning. Like, you have to yeah. have a – you have – the fact that you learned fast means you like it. You like what you're good at. So you learn fast. You see progress. So then you're motivated to go to learn <sighs> even more. And it, it right. spirals on itself. And I think that maybe if you would have put in – Let's say you were just super shitty. Like for some reason you had bad dexterity in your fingers and you had bad muscles in your wrists and you put a year into art and you got nowhere. Like you got yeah. a tiny bit better. You probably would have given up because it's like this is not yeah. – you know what I mean? So yeah, the reason yeah, I'm yeah. saying this is like if, if someone's out there listening thinking like I want to get into something, this is what the manager told me. It's like you need to find something that you have an affinity for that you like that you actually can pick up. And that will eventually make you money when those th okay. when those three things oversect. So, like, no matter what, like, if I said I'm going to work all day every day, become the best basketball player in the world, I'm never going to make it in the NBA. I'm five foot seven. I'm thirty five years old. Doesn't matter how much work I do, I'm not going to make it to the fucking NBA. <laughs> now, the good thing about creative stuff is there there is no physical limitations unless maybe no. like your eyes went out or something. Well, some 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 hand and eye coordination, but art is so 
easily interpreted. It, there's so many loopholes in art. You could be you could be a quadriplegic and make good art. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are ways around it, but you generally have to have good hand-eye coordination to do which video games things. helps with. Yeah, exactly that fine tuning to bring it all back. Right, all of these video games that we played, starting with Mario as a fucking side scroller, up and down, left, right, and like three buttons. Sometimes the Sega had three buttons, four yes. buttons, and three. then the and then the D pad. And right, and now we're playing games like Gears of War, or we're playing super complex uh, Mass Effect, where we got two trigger fingers, we got six buttons on the right side, two kinds of sticks on the left side, just complex gaming, in the moment decisions. Right, you're playing Overwatch. I don't know if you've ever played Overwatch, I but it's in but the people moment. love that game. It's incredibly chaotic, and you're making moments split second. You're making decisions split second. You're having to like readjust your strategy, backing out, rethinking. There's a lot of like real world application, and actually, the army and the navy, well, the military in general, is going to gaming to recruit uh, new people because of those decision making processes, the way that they think in the moment really quickly. I actually, so I, I was at Salt Lake Gaming Con uh, last month, and they had a full, the Army had an entire diesel vehicle, diesel truck bed, gaming, it was like a gaming setup, right? And inside of a truck bed of a diesel truck, you know, like a really long trailer. Yeah. Yeah, and they had about. a gaming setup inside of it, and the army was like walking around, and they're like talking to people, and they're recruiting gamers, like the people who are not the most masculine people, but the people who are quick to make decisions, quick to their fine-tuned uh, motor skills, whatever. This—that's the future of like the military, which is fucking weird. That is weird. And I mean, you, I guess if if I was like head of the military and I was building a drone army. Yeah, yeah pilots, you want gamers. I want gamers, yeah. They're introduced to so many different interfaces in every single game that they play, whether it's a flying game or a driving game or an RPG. You have to use a different interface for drawing weapons, for using potions, for using like equipment. You want somebody who can fly a drone who's used to random systems, right? The, com- the complexity of like flying a fucking jet or driving a car yeah. remotely. Anyway, super interesting. So gaming is like, I don't know if you saw this, but the winner of the Fortnite competition, did you hear about he this? He won like three million something stupid amount. Three million. He's 16 fucking years old. <laughs> won three million dollars. But the government took 1.5 million from him in taxes. They took half of his money. Wow. But as a 16-year-old, as a making 1.5 million in about 24 hours. Jesus Christ. Well, you could look at it that way, or if you count all the hours he played to get that good at Fortnite. It doesn't matter if it took him three years. He's still making money per hour. Yeah. If it took him three years to get good at it, he still made $1.5 million, more than most people make in their entire life, dude, yeah. in their how, fucking life. How many hours of Fortnite do you think he plays? Uh, every day. He probably doesn't have a lot of friends. He plays every night. He has friends that play with him. He probably has been playing since the game came out and just had a natural affinity Yeah, for it. He understood the game better than other people and won a fucking tournament. 
but that's the thing with like professional gaming games go out of style eventually it's not like basketball or football or soccer yeah that's a good they point. die you out have to, you have to get good at another game once that game quick run its course yeah you have to be quick and you probably won't make it to another pro game right because you're good at overwatch doesn't mean you're good at like league of legends yeah, so professional gaming is really interesting. It's very quick. It's hot in the pan. It's like I had a guy on like two episodes ago that's like mid-tier, not quite world-class level, but he's pretty far up in the fighting game world, specifically Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about the skill the skill gap between someone like him who he plays. I mean, that's his, he's like he has his day job and a wife and then it's Street Fighter. That's it. That's his main wow. That's all he does, and he he won Salt Lake Gaming Con actually. He really that tournament, yeah. He came on. Like, yeah, they had a lot of tournaments that that yeah. weekend. And uh, he was talking about the guys that are at the highest level. Like we were saying, professional gaming, especially with fighting, fighting this fighting games don't have a big of as big of a player base as Fortnite does. Everyone and their dog is fucking playing Fortnite. I fucking so, hate Fortnite. Fighting games, even the guys at the very top level, if they're winning tournaments, he said some of them. They make decent money from tournaments, but they're not making that much money. It's the people that can win the tournaments, even if they're not the best in the world, but have a good way of having a personality online to draw uh, sponsorships. Twitch. Then they can make good money. Yeah. But even if you're the best in the world and you're winning on the fighting game tournaments, it's really not – like you're, you, you'll you survive. But you're It's not, not gonna, consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see a lot of people streaming on Twitch – and making money because of their personality. They're basically YouTube stars for the gaming industry. Yes. So they play Fortnite or they play the newest game coming out and they give reviews. They just like, I, I, I don't know if it's, it's definitely not millennials. It's the generation of boomers who are watching people play games and not actually playing games and making these Twitch streamers, these YouTube stars like super famous. And they're making money just from playing games. People watch I know that's always blown my mind, but I, I remember going over to a friend's house and there was a little. My kids, oh, well, speaking of my kids, I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. They have watched all of the Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts one, Birth by Sleep, all the. There's someone that put together like this mega edit of all the cutscenes and gameplay in between them of all the Kingdom Hearts games. Oh my it's like God. a thirty-hour YouTube video, and they just <sighs> slowly over the course of like months. Like watch this whole YouTube video, and my kid knows. She's like, "Oh, that's Master Zenohart. He's the bad guy." I'm like, "I don't even know who that fucking is." And I've played most of those games. That's so and so. Like, she likes watching it, and it's and she'll watch the gameplay. And to me, that makes no sense. I, like, I'll watch the cutscene, then it gets to gameplay. I'm like, "Wow, this is, does not capture my attention in the slightest." At all. But she loves it. It's weird. It's super weird. But the, that generate we miss that generation by a lot. Yeah, uh, says, like, we're officially uh, old fucking kids these days. <laughs> well, millennials, we can complain about kids now doing weird shit. So what'd you call uh, them? You called them bloomers? Boomers. That- so that's boomers. the generation bef- uh, after us. So we're millennials. The people before us are Gen Xers. And boomers are like the YouTube star kids and the the kids who watch video games. People play video games. Like... I think the cutoff for millennials was like, oof, like years or early twenties. Type in millennials age group. It's like early twenties now. Eighty-one to ninety-six. 
Oh. If you were born from 81. I was born in 85. I was born in 88. So, yeah. All the way up to 1996 millennial. Yeah. If, if we do what years are boomers? Oh, this is baby boomers. I don't want baby boomers. I want new Baby boomers, boomers is like World War Two, but yeah, the boomers now. I think it's related to the wars in Iraq and everything after that. Like, they all come back from war and have a bunch of shitty kids. <laughs> what? What's after millennials? Let's see. Millennials. What's after millennials? Hey, yeah, I'm interested. Come on, that's such a weird generation. Maybe. I grew up without the internet. Let's see, Generation Z. No, that's before us, isn't it? It says eight key differences between Gen Z and millennials. Gen Z. Mid nineteen nineties to early two thousands. Oh, so yeah. Gen Z. But that's the thing is that's just like obviously in the your lexicon, people calling them boomers. It's probably not. Yeah. It's probably not like set in stone. Not yet. Yeah. They're probably new and emerging. That's huh. interesting. Yeah, kids, kids, kids watching. Maybe do you ever do you ever live stream your art process? I so at my house I have Google Fiber, but it's the free version, so it's like just barely above dial up. Okay. So if I did have Google Fiber, I would live stream everything. Right now I'm at I'm at a point where I can record my screen through uh I use OBS Studio that's, that's to record right my now. screen. Yeah. yeah. And I can do I have time lapses of of all of my digital paintings. I have five I just posted one today of Shaila and the orchestration of time, my most recent painting. So I posted that video. If you go to YouTube, type in uh, Art of Chase or Chase Henson. Or if you go to my Instagram or my Facebook, Chase Henson, you can see the. it's a 15-hour painting condensed down into four, five minutes. And I have a friend of mine doing like some lo-fi uh synth music to it in the background if you listen to it with headphones it's like fucking super excellent i'm watching your time lapse of a god's denouement god's denouement so that that's my apocalypse story that's the final act of the gods when the gods lose faith in themselves there's one god Uh, to bring the end i see some of your process you got like some snakes pictures of snakes pulled up Kind of like as yeah. you're painting. That's pretty. Cool. So it's the entire painting process from yeah. sketch to color study to final rendering, all the way to the very end. So I pull in my reference and I draw from that. And I like have the opening image. You kind of already have like a sketch to start with. Yeah. So I typically have line work and then color sketch underneath it, and that's how I determine my color palette. Uh, and then after that, it's deciding on the the smaller stuff. So I work from big, big idea all the way down to the small idea, to the rendering, to the final product of everything. Are you using a tablet, like a Wacom tablet? So for the most, for the first like three paintings, I use a. a it's called Wacom. It's the Wacom, most ridiculous yeah. name in the world. It should be Wacom because Wacom sounds like masturbation. Hey, but. 
I have a, I have, hey. a, I have a great relationship with masturbation. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Everybody. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it should be called Wacom because Wacom sounds like masturbation. But right now, I just recently bought a Cintiq. If you look up Wacom Cintiq, Wacom Cintiq, it's a tablet mixed with a with a very high res monitor. Okay. And I'm using a very old version. I'm not using the new black ones. I'm using the older gray ones that are really big. So it's a tablet screen, and it's pressure sensitive. So I use a stylus pen like you would an iPad. You know, when you see people drawing on their iPad with an Apple pen. But I have a very big monitor with a Wacom pen, and I'm painting directly onto the screen digitally using Photoshop. It's literally the same process as I would use if I was painting with oils or acrylic. Like the idea is the same. It's just digital. There's no drying time. When you're it's, drawing, are you looking at that screen or your computer screen? Or are you mainly looking at the tablet? I have two screens. So I have a main screen uh, that I pull up my reference on. So if I have a reference of a model, you, typically if I have a figure in my paintings, I have a, I hire a model. I take photographs of her or him in the pose that I want. And typically, there's a lot of nudity in the photos, so I don't post them in the videos. So I pull them up on my secondary screen, and I use my tablet, my Wacom Cintiq tablet to paint on. And I record just the painting of the the Cintiq monitor. Oh, okay. So I, I have a secondary screen where I can pull up all my references of birds or humans or uh, snakes or whatever I'm fucking using at the time. Um. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I plan the painting from composition. I start with thumbnail sketches. Like if I have a woman in like the goddess of time, like what is the pose that the goddess of time would be in? I would do a little quick sketch and I'd figure out the composition first. Uh, I take a photo of the drawing that I did. I bring it into Photoshop. I evolve it, like oh, uh, make it bigger, trace over the top of that, really refine the drawing and the composition. I take photo reference after that of the model in the exact pose and the exact lighting. I set up lights just like a photo shoot, like a photographer were, would do. Uh, and then I take the photograph and then I start the painting. I decide on the color palette next. I decide if it's warm or cool. How do I contrast the figure? Is the figure warm? Is the focal point cool? You know, it's just like from the beginning of the fundamentals all the way to the end, like everything is very thought out so that my process is quick. It's effective and it's not wasting my time. I'm all about efficiency in art, right? Doing the most or saying the most by doing the least. So I don't have to like endlessly render something or fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I end up with, you know, my, my best painting, my most recent painting. I, I would consider my best painting that I've ever done ever. And I'm super proud of it. And that's, that's not very often. Sisters? Huh? Is that the most recent one on your portfolio, the Three Sisters? No, the one next to it, the the orchestration of time. Oh, okay. Let's open this. That one is my most recent one, as of like last week, I think. And how many hours did this take? Fifteen. That's that's pretty fast, man. It's super fast for something with figures, three figures. That should be thirty to sixty, like some insane number. But my process is so efficient and so thought out most of the time like i have my moments when i like just 
do stupid shit and endlessly paint. But I figured out a very efficient process digitally. The uh, so my friend Kelton Cran, that's the concept artist for like a bunch of big Hollywood shit. He uh, he said he gave me. I was asking him a lot about like what is it like actually working because he's he's at the top tier. He's talked a little bit about difference between games and movies. And movies is a lot of turnover and a lot of redesigns and like people come in with this idea. It's all about speed. Too many cooks. A lot of that's that'll happen. He worked on uh, Edge of. Do you remember the movie Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah, that was awesome, and it was the opposite. It was, I guess, it's like one director that had this super solid idea of what he wanted. He was crazy and eccentric. He'd come in at the time he was working for an agency. He wasn't freelance, an agency that movie studios would hire for concept art. He'd come in and like yell at everybody, but he would look at everything himself. Whereas other things like Transformers and Turtles, he was mainly did Raphael, I believe, on Turtles, and had to go through uh, whatever it was, something like hundreds of variations. And yeah. he talks about it's all about time. He's like not only and I, how competitive the industry is. He's like not only is everyone really good, but you have to be really, really fast. Yeah. And he's talked about it's like you don't actually. He told me this story, where one of his he got into art, and he had a full time job. He was doing art and like he got hired by a hotel in China to do all these arts in their hotel rooms, like individual pieces for all these hotel rooms. So he was doing art, and then he went back to school and went to a school called Nomen. And uh, yeah, Nomen Workshop. Yeah, so he went to it's Nomen. An online online course. Okay, and he was finishing. Well, he was finishing that degree, and he was building everything from scratch. And he took like the armor. I think he said he took an armor chest plate from like another piece of artwork and tweaked it and put it on his. And he felt really bad about it. And he told us. <laughs> he told this professor. He was like. Hey man, like my final thing, like the, actually that chest plate was like I kind of just tweaked something else, like an existing asset. I didn't, and they're doing something with 3D. And the, and then he the, he said the instructor something along the lines of turned to him and he's like, oh, you're finally starting to figure it out. He thought he was getting <laughs> getting in trouble. And he's like, really, it's the opposite. He's like, you need oh, to do, you need to do more of God. that. You need to like learn how to. And then he, then he explained like kit bashing uh, and all these all these things where yeah you know, steal artists, like an artist dude steal like an steal artist steal like yeah. an artist so because there's nothing original dude there's nothing original anymore the most original stories are mythology the stories of the Hindu gods the stories of the Greek gods the story of uh, oh my god who is Mar- the first the Sumerian Mar- mythology we, yes, we're talking Mar- about dude. Homer yeah and and uh, uh, what's that first first story of mythology? The, the Sumerian mythology is the first. I thought so it was like Mesopotamian oh, or Sumerian. The Iliad. Sumerian gods. Mesopotamians and the Sumerians. Right? So I don't know. I'm looking up real quick. Right. So they're the first, yes, they're the that's first okay. story. We're thinking of the same thing. I was thinking Mesopotamia. That's the same thing as Sumerian. I should yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. The first stories ever 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 to be created by humans that are recorded at least right so mythology mythology is the og of stories and fantasy and fucking the craziest have you ever read hindu mythology it's fucking bonkers it's so (laughs) it's so bonkers read the story of kali and her importance in the hindu mythology she's like drinking the blood of demons so that the blood can't recreate versions of the demon itself she's just like swallowing blood uh, just it's insanity right 
So anything after that is all a remake of mythology. Everything. Every single story. If you look up Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, the Hero's Journey Joseph yeah. Campbell talks about that, and it's repeated in everything. Everything. Everything we watch. To the most cliche, to the most complex, there's aspects of mythology in all storytelling. So even in concept art, in visual language, we can't just make something up. We have to come from mythology. We have to come from the things that already exist, the pyramids, Mesopotamians, the fucking... Who was before us, right? Neanderthals, the cave paintings in France. Like, it's all there. Everything already exists. We just mix things together to create a fresh look on an old story. But when when you think about your process with art, though, you're not really... You are building everything from the ground up as far as the actual strokes. It's not like you're because, uh, like, I know yeah. a lot. Of, I know a lot of guys. I've watched concept artists time lapse on Art Station, where they'll like take a photo and they'll draw over the photo and smear, or they'll manipulate existing. Like they won't paint everything. They'll bring in a photo, like warp it, do something, put that piece in there, paint over it, mix between photo and painting. Like there's a guy named uh, I think it's Peter Gregory. I follow too many artists on Instagram. But you know, that's yeah, that's so that's that's a photo bashing technique where they take an existing basically an existing texture and design, paint over the top of it to create something new and I and fresh. Yeah. Um but what I'm ripping off is mythology, right? So I'm I'm not thinking about a single religion or cultural mythology. I'm not talking about just Hindu mythology, I'm backing up a little bit and looking at world mythology. What are the what are the connecting stories between all of them? There's always a flood story. There's always a creation story. There's yeah. always an apocalypse. There's always uh, repentance. There's always uh, Loki, the trickster god. There's always there's just stories of morality throughout all of religion. So I'm taking all of the things that I see that are similar in all the mythologies and deciding I'm going to do a painting on Loki. Who's the trickster god in my story? Who is the the god of fortune? Who is the god of sexuality? Who is the goddess of, I don't know, the fucking rain, right? Yeah. And we, back in the day, we they used those stories to explain uh, scientific phenomenon. We didn't know why thunder happened, so we blamed it on Thor or Zeus. Zeus yeah. was mad because we haven't sacrificed a fucking goat. <laughs> but science has taken over a lot of those. It's probably why we don't believe in a lot of the old stuff. So I'm ripping off mythology, and I'm taking design and color aspects from other images that I see on Pinterest. I'm not creating anything fresh. I'm just putting my own twist. You're still on- out. You're still outsourcing a lot of the creative work, like colors and references, and and yeah. Uh, but you're just you're not actually using photos or anything. I'd be interested. no. I take photo reference, and I I use that as my reference for the figures, but anything outside of that, I'm really, I'm trying my best not to rip. You can't help it. It's, it's like you can't create a piece of music without ripping someone, you know? Yeah. You enjoy jet metal. You're going to do a jet metal fucking, uh, riff. So you can do a jet metal like drumming. Do you like tool? I do, and they just went on yes. Spotify. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I've been having Finally. A, a tool resurgence because now I can get them on Spotify, and I've like re-listened well, to all their music. It's genius marketing because they have how many albums, and they're about to put out a new one at the end of the month. Yes. I yeah. did go to see – I saw Tool in Salt Lake 
when they came last. Worst concert I've ever been to. Really? Uh, we were at the Maverick Center. That has bad sound. Maverick Center always has shit. The sound. worst. I had I was so bad that I didn't know what song they were playing and I couldn't hear anything. It was just noise being hit at me from all angles. I must have been in one section of the, the arena where all of the sound was mixing in and it was just vibrating for an hour and a half. Yeah, I've been to the Maverick Center a handful of times. The only time the sound was good is when I was in GA, sort of like 50. 30 feet away from the stage, kind of yeah. right in front of it. But yeah. anytime I've sat in the seats in the Maverick Center or Delta Center for that matter, it's no. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, because you get in those corner spots and I just heard noise. I couldn't hear lyrics. I couldn't hear guitar. Couldn't hear drums. It was literally just sound being blasted at me at high volume for a long time. I paid $100 for that fucking ticket. That's I was really I'm upset, sorry, man. I have a, another guy, a local musician. Uh, loves tool he's coming on and he saw them the last time and he said it was the best concert he's ever been to so he must have been in a different spot than you not me i was in the worst <laughs> spot the fucking worst in a bad spot well sweet man let's wrap this up i think that it's pretty yeah. good we talked a lot about your art i think this has been the most so when i originally thought about doing the podcast it was like i want to talk i want to use the memories of gaming as a sort of a springboard to just talk about more things than just gaming yeah. This has probably been the first one that's been closest to what I was envisioning. A lot of the previous Good. episodes have been – we just it is fun. You kind of go through chronological order of all the games they played and just nerd out. But we, yeah. got, in, we got into like mythology. We got into creativity, Dude. getting your life, getting your shit together, part, like all because of gaming. Just games, dude. Yeah. Games and movies and TV shows. Yeah. I, I originally was like, oh, I, could, I could do – because you could take the same idea and apply it to music or movies. Don't steal my idea. I actually own music memories, gaming memories, movie memories, and media memories. But I, because, but it's just too many to do in one podcast. But yeah. That format of like, hey, let's, I want to interview someone that isn't a musician, but talk about the music that influenced them growing up and how that. Yeah. I'm trying to focus on artists, right? Anyone that's why I re reached out to you, anyone that does any sort of creative artistic work or works in the gaming industry, or whatever, and ha connecting that to playing games growing up and how that got them to where they're at. And I didn't even really brief you on that. And you just made it happen without me telling Dude, you. Well, I've been thinking about it since we talked about it last, like what actually, like what fucking games are really influenced me. And I've been thinking about it for a while. So I was like, mentally I was prepped and I was like, man, when we actually set a date, I'm going to write stuff down. I'm going to be super prepped. <laughs> but we were like last minute, like, Hey, yeah. what are you doing tomorrow? Okay, great. Fucking let's do it. And it was just like this constant, honest flow. And I mean, whiskey helps in a little bit yeah. of beer. So I had a, I, I have a, you don't make fun of me, but I've been drinking white claws lately. People, oh boy. <laughs> oh wow. But they don't make me feel bloated. And <laughs> so whatever. I like that's beer. What that's what whiskey and ice is for, my man. That's true. Uh, but the, the problem is, is the L store closes at 7, and if you're that's out, true. your only option is Smith's. And if I go to the Smith's, adult store. Um, I, do, I do like Smith's is now carrying, if anyone likes Japanese beers, they carry um, Sapporo. Sapporo? And, what's the other one? Asahi. Kirin? Kirin oh. and Asahi. I like Asahi Good. the most. Yeah, but me too. problem is if I pound Asahi's, I just feel like, Whoa. Yeah. It's 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 like a it's a lighter beer, but there's tons of froth to it. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I've been doing White Claws lately because my wife will drink them too. So, but yeah, people have been giving me so much shit. Oh, you're drinking a White Claw? You know what? <laughs> I'm a grown ass man. I'm I work a grown for myself. <laughs> I will drink what I want, bitch. I like them. That's great. Hi, man. We'll do this again. I do want to do multiple episodes. Like, I don't want people. Please. I want, I want people to come on again. So what I'm Dude. thinking is like kind of give some time and maybe if there's a new game that like we didn't talk about. We could maybe save this for last time, which is so dumb that we didn't bring it up yet. Or we could talk about it. I I, I do got wake up kind of early, but um, everything you've talked about, art style, storytelling, gods and mythology. All comes together to my favorite game I've played probably of all time now, and it's a recent game, which is the newest God of War. Oh, have you the played the newest God game. of War? No, but the art for that game was oh my god, so beyond. You need to play it so bad. I'm willing. I'm not using my PS4 Pro. You can borrow my PS4 Pro, dude. I will take that from you. <laughs> I will take you. You up. of all people need to play that game. I, the art was amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Justin Sweet and Vance Kovacs were the concept artists for that game, and they were just pumping out pieces of art after the game came out. Justin Sweet and Vance Kovac. There's another so I, guy that is called like Raf Grassetti or something. He's like the main modeler for maybe. God of War. I've I've seen him. Oh, I don't know. There's so many. That whole studio is just full of killers. Yeah. Well, it was a, is a. It wasn't even a triple A title. It was a quadruple A title. Yeah. The, the artist yes. that they brought in, it was beyond gaming. I haven't played it, but the art was amazing. So I know it's good. If you bring in good artists, most of the time it's usually the a good The art deal. is amazing. The story, I don't want to ruin I, – the less you know, the better. But that's the only game that I can think of in recent memory. Actually, probably the only game besides The Last of Us. Yeah. It made me cry. Last of Us made me cry. God of War made me cry like multiple times through the campaign. Uh, it's so good. And it's all like – it's. I can't believe you haven't played it because the whole time you were talking about mythology, I was like, oh, we got to get to God of War because I'm sure he loves this game. Because it's everything you like. Everything Dude, you I, like in a game. I'll play it. You if have you let me it. borrow it, I will literally play the I shit have to, out of it. So the actual game is another – I borrowed the game from a friend. So I'll buy I, it. I'll buy it used. Okay. I know I can give you the PS4, but I don't know if I can give you the game because it's not my game to give. But I'll give you the PS4 to play. Fuck yeah. All right, oh, man. Yeah. And then that's, that'll be our next podcast. After you beat God of War, then we can okay. talk about God of War. Also, so I'm putting out my – I'm doing a Kickstarter for my book around November for the whole mythology thing that I'm putting together. So okay. maybe I'll play God of War. We'll promote the next Kickstarter. Uh, we'll do like a double – we'll double up on talking about games, interests, whatever. We'll work it out. Well, the podcast is new. I don't know if it's going to help you that much, but I'll do my best to promote it. Any Dude, anything helps. Anything helps. All right, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to – we're going to hit stop recording. Three, All two, right, one. See you guys later. And that is a wiggity, wiggity wrap. Thank you for listening to the entirety of the podcast. As always, that warms my prophetic soul. Next, all you got to do is just basically give me 10% of your money and turn over your women to me and the gaming gods will be happy. If you're not willing to do that, 
that's okay for now. What you can do is sit patiently, twiddle your thumbs, and get ready for next week's episode. We have Decay, or Decay, depending on how you want to pronounce it. One of my age-old friends, one of the original producers that was on Damn Son, the record label that I helped start. He makes awesome bass music. He loves video games. You guys are going to definitely enjoy the show, so make sure to check it out next week. Until then, go forth, spread the good news of the gaming gospels. Love ya. Peace.